1: And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to Star Wars The Saga Continues and another installment of our Star Wars Saga movie commentary episodes. Um, Today we'll be watching and commentating along with uh, Solo A Star Wars Story, Um, and as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got, uh, Tim and Paul along with me. How's it going, guys? woo Solo!
0: Solo! Where are you, Solo? Solo!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's excited. (laughs) woo Now, of course, we're all excited to be here, uh, watching and talking Star Wars again. Um... So we could sit here talking, but we could also just go ahead and start the movie. So let's uh, just jump right into it, shall we? Um, As always, we've got uh, all of our movie time synced up. So, you know, we're if you're watching along with us on the Blu-ray or whatever, uh, we're at zero out of 214 on like the chapter of the actual movie after like the FBI warning logo and all that stuff. So um, we're going to go ahead and start on Punch It. Ready? Three, two, one. Punch it.
2: And our first movie commentary, or it's just the Lucasfilm logo and no longer the 20th Century Fox logo.
1: Yep. Which, I mean, we're kind of used to by this point, but um, <laughs> not in our commentary episodes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's weird that this is the most recent movie, but the first one that we're getting to in chronological order. Um, I like yeah. what they did with the opening. You know, mm-hmm. they're kind of own version of the opening uh, crawl here, I guess. I mean, it's not crawling, but um just setting up the, the time period and what's going on with uh, the crime syndicates and Corellia and all that stuff. And it's I, cool. That's like, the same font of a long yeah. time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, yeah. I
0: think it's honestly, I think it's the best of all you could do with, with not having a crawl and, but it also make it its own thing, but trying to set up what's going on. So, mm. I thought this was a perfect thing. I'll, rogue one worked fine for what it was, like just being a kind of a cold open, but I actually really like this. And I think they should go this method from now on, to be honest.
1: See, I would agree. I, agree. I, I would generally agree, but I think it depends on the type of story they're telling, because I think part of the reason that the cold open worked for rogue one so well is that That's a great the, shot the, the, the intro takes place so far before, like, the main events of the movie, you know, there's, like, kind of that prologue with, uh, Krennic and, um, Galen, and then it jumps forward, like, 10 or 15 years or something, um, so it would be a little weird to, like, have a, you know, opening text just setting up that beginning scene or whatever, um, but, yeah, I think this works perfectly for Solo, and if they're gonna have movies where, you know, any more spinoff movies where everything kind of takes place in the same time period, um, I think that would be a great way to set up, like, what, Part
2: of the timeline it's taking place in it's just cool to one of the things i was looking forward to seeing in solo was our first look at corellia in a star wars movie i mean heard so much about it just growing up even as a young star wars i know about corellia from some of those early books and knowing it was han solo's homeworld. it was a planet that was known for making ships and the fact that we're seeing a lot of that established and be part of the main new canon now was really cool to see on screen and i just mentioned how I just love that shot as it panned up to the sky and you're seeing like the bridges and of the star destroyer part of the star destroyer ship being built. And we get more of that later on during the chase, but I just love how this movie brought that aspect that we knew about the planet Corellia into a film. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's I think Corellia is a great design Yep, and it really, it really makes it feel like a, like a in, an industrial just kind of uh, you know, industrial planet. It's not like Coruscant. It's a, It's like dreary, kind of like a wintertime Seattle kind of feel, you know, Mm -hmm. being living in Seattle. I could say that. And it it felt very Seattle to me. Just how kind of it felt kind of gray and wet as far as like, you know, the winter times. That's what it looks like. Other places you get snow and whatever. Whereas Seattle, it's just in the wintertime. It's gray and wet, just like Coruscant or sorry, just like Corelia. So. Yeah, I, I totally am with you on that. I love that design. And speaking of design, I love the designs of Han Solo and Kira in, at this uh, part, point of the film. I, this Just for me, it feels very, like, 70s punk rock. Like, and, and, and I'm being serious. Like, I'm not trying no, to do, like, be you. funny. Mm-hmm. Like, they, like, it really felt, I'm not, I want to say they even took inspiration from Deborah Harry. If I'm not mis- or Maybe it wasn't Deborah Harry. It was some, something like that, um, where they kind of looked at it a little bit like a, kind of that old punk rock feel, potentially. But, uh, yeah, I love love these outfits. Uh, I'm not sure if they have a Han Solo in uh young Han Solo Black Series figure, but I do definitely have this Kira figure. So, But, yeah, the, every, every, all the designs in this film, I, I feel, are just so perfectly Star Wars, where I don't always... I feel like the sequel trilogy has that feel, but Lady Proxima, again, another great example. To me, in my opinion, this all feels very Star Wars, and it looks Star Wars. It just feels, but it looks. Everything mm-hmm. looks like Star Wars to me.
2: No, yeah, I totally agree. Especially, like you said, with Lady Proxima. I remember being surprised when we first saw her in the movie, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they really <laughs> showed her in any of the promotional stuff. I unless- don't think so.
1: No, they didn't. Or if they did, we didn't know who she was. Exactly. It was
2: like, that was the point where I was staying away from like TV spots. But I remember when she came out, I was like, oh, this is a really cool, different, unique design for, you know, for like a boss of criminals and young criminals in this instance. But it was, like you said, Paul, a design that still felt like Star Wars, but something unique for it as well, which is a combination I always love when we get new Star Wars movies.
0: Well, I just want to say, I love The reason why I think I I felt. I fell in love with Solo so much. Is this is a great introduction to Han Solo, and instead of being like a, a person, it's a creature that he's answering to, just yeah. like jab the Hut. Mm-hmm. So it's almost. Exactly. And again, we don't really have anything like that in Star Wars right now. Like there's no one answering Uncar Plutt, whatever. But this is a way cooler design than Uncar Plutt. Let's be yeah. real here. That's a great yeah. design, and so. I just I just love the fact that he's answering to like like a bigwig crime boss, it's a creature like Jabba. Just like you know, as a young man, how he's kind of doing his whole life. It seems like so. I don't know. I love. I forgot what the I'm really bad. I forgot what the name of these species are. But obviously, Lady Proxima is the female version of what. Um, uh, my gosh, what's his name? Moloch. what Moloch is as well. But Wait, I, like really? I said. I, yeah, yeah, I didn't he, even know that. It, I thought yeah, Moloch it, it, was it, like on two legs. No, well, yeah, he is. But like, see, like they're they're the same thing. That's why, see, when he she goes down and he gets his uh, helmet,
3: yeah,
1: like yeah. He,
0: Oh, okay. So,
1: it, it, well, is it? So is she almost like a queen bee sort of thing? Yeah, it's okay. exactly that yeah, it makes it's sense. A queen kind of thing. Yeah. By the way, I love that little scene where he, you know, just kind of improvises on the fly, like grabs a rock and clicks his mouth and pretends it's a thermal detonator. That's like such a classic like Han move, especially in his younger (laughs) days. Like (laughs) you see just that crafty, quick thinking. And at the same time, like plans that are almost a little ridiculous sometimes, but like just so ridiculous that it might work.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. just to me, it just reminds me, you know, like I said, it fits in with his character, what we see later on in The Force Awakens when he's trying to talk his way out of, you know, Kanji Club. Yeah, and exactly. The Quavian Death game is trying all that he can and just always been part of his style to get out of trouble.
1: Yeah. And I like Hi. the uh, I like the design of the, um, the coaxium and just kind of the, the shiny little floating material that they've got in that vial there. But I like, uh, you know, it's just another neat little... Um, just a neat little element added to the universe that I think I, I'm trying to remember. Have we already seen or heard about coaxium, like popping up in other stories and stuff no. now? Like it's, Oh um, now
0: yes. Now. Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. Like after, yeah. after,
1: after I'm talking about after solo, it's just one of those things that now is kind of established. Like, Oh, this mm-hmm. is yeah. like the, the element or whatever that they use for hyper fuel. It's kind of like in, um I think it was first started in clone wars, that rhydonium fuel. That they use to mm-hmm. like, uh, that creates like those big colorful explosions and then they kept using that in Rebels and stuff. Yeah. And so it's just one of those like small little touches where you're like, yeah, on the one hand it's like, okay, it's fuel, whatever. But, um, I don't know, just nice to get those little things fleshed out. I like those little touches.
2: Another a cool so, shot of part of the Star Destroyer is being built. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. love that. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing it, these it, classic it, Empire it, ships be built and we know where they're coming from.
0: Carilia, yeah. There is a uh, what. What's interesting is that this this uh, speeder is actually based off the design of the Bible, uh, in the in the art oh, of really? book. That's it's funny. Super great. Well, and yeah, it's funny because so I can said, totally
1: tell this. I've always thought that speeder looked like a book. Like I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. have guessed that they based it off the Bible specifically. But it definitely looks like a a book with engines and a handle on top.
0: Yeah, it was kind of. I'm not. Maybe I'm misreading the art of book, but it de- the Bible is definitely referenced. Like, not because it was a religious context, but like the way the Bible is thick and you, you, the way most Bibles, you know, traditional Bibles look, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I think that's what they were kind of referencing. Uh, I love the design. I think it's a brilliant design, personally. Speaking uh, of again, cool
2: designs, sadly, that speeder bike trooper was underused in this movie because i loved how he looked and those pictures we yeah, he he got cool looking yeah was really cool yeah
1: there are a lot of cool imperial designs in this movie that don't really get to do much which you know is kind of
2: a shame because you're right they do look cool but at the same time it's okay because this movie doesn't have to focus on the empire exactly. being the main antagonist that right and the screw has to go up again so i was like I'm okay with it, surprisingly, (laughs) not seeing enough of these cool-looking troopers.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely good with, like, the Empire's place in the movie, but then it feels a little weird when, like, you've got a whole new TIE fighter and we see, you know, one of them for, like, five seconds when they're chasing Han through the maw, and it's like, were we going to see, like, what that thing can do or why it's different or anything like that? Um, So I hope we maybe get to see some more of those new designs in some other material.
2: Yeah, I think this scene right here is a great... Display of showing what the Empire is like, you know, just not in a battle or fighting Mm -hmm. against the rebels Just showing what life under imperial rule is like and to see how horrible it is for citizens on lots of planets and the scene stormtroopers Kind of act like we've never seen them before just with normal citizens taking them as prisoners and being rough with them So I think a really good job of showing the oppression of the tyranny of the Empire that we really
1: haven't seen too much of in the other movies Yeah, for sure I think, and you're right, it's in this scene in particular, but even, um, I mean, you kind of get that feel with Corellia in general, um, Mm -hmm. even with Han, you know, kind of living on the streets and with the stuff with Lady Proxima and seeing, you know, the, like, even though we don't really see the Empire present in those scenes, just the fact that you're seeing them under these giant Star Destroyers being built and seeing that their lives are kind of crappy, it's like you get the feeling that, like, things aren't so great under Imperial rule. And then again, like in this scene where you see the stormtroopers roughing people up, like it really showcases that even more. And I feel like rebels did a really good job of showing that too, like on Lothal, but, um, this is definitely kind of something that we haven't seen much of in the movies. Yeah. Also, I'm sure we'll bring this up plenty of times throughout the movie, but might as well bring it up here that, uh, Alden Ehrenreich was a great choice um, to play Han in this and kind of a surprising oh, choice because yeah. I think when he was cast, like a lot of us were thinking like, hey, eh, he doesn't look that much like Harrison Ford. But like now that we've seen this movie multiple times and, um, you know, you see the way that like I think he bears enough of a resemblance and then mm-hmm. also just like embodies the, the attitude and the mannerisms of the character so well that he's just totally believable as Han.
0: Yeah, all of them, he blew me away. And one of the things I think that, again, people are going to criticize, but I, it doesn't look like a lot like Harrison Ford, but he got the mannerisms and the, and this, the kind of the character I think in a nutshell that you have to portray Han as, and I think that it's such an underrated performance. People went in to to, already to dislike it. And I just, I I fall in love with his version more and more every time I see, I see this movie and I see this movie like once a month, if not twice a month, it seems like I always throw it on. It's like, (laughs) it's probably my go-to Star Wars movie just to hang out and relax. It's, it's weird, but Alden's performance is is so underrated. It pains me that he gets so, like, people just don't take it as seriously, like, oh, solo, oh. It it really bothers me. It's because I think it's so good.
2: Yeah, I I need you guys to talk to my older brother because I can't convince him of that. (laughs) (laughs) Alden's performance, he can't stand the movie because he can't. I don't even think it's just him specifically, but anyone else playing Han solo, we can't get behind. He didn't he didn't get by into his performance, even though I agree with everything you guys are saying. I tried to stress that, but to no avail. But I totally agree, especially for this period in Han's life, how you know how young he is, how he's just kind of coming out of the life he's known for so long, being you know, a young thief serving under Lady Proxima and everything's changing for him, but He just captured that quality that I would expect Han to have during this moment in his life and seeing him become the smuggler and outlaw that we know from the original trilogy. So, yeah, completely agree that Alden pretty much nailed the aspects of Han that I was expecting to see in this movie. Mm -hmm.
1: And at the same time, I mean, I can kind of understand that sentiment of like – nobody but Harrison Ford will really be Han. And I feel like maybe that's part of the reason why there wasn't as much excitement for this movie before it came out and why there, yeah. a lot of people felt like, eh, do we really need this? Like why? And part of that was like, why do we need somebody else trying to play a young Han when Harrison Ford is so iconic in that role? And he's never going to be as good. Yeah. Um, but then I think you just have to go into it with an open mind and knowing that obviously they can't film a movie with a 25 year old Harrison Ford. So they had to get somebody else to do it Um and I mean, was it absolutely necessary? Not really, but I think I mean it's a fun movie, and I think Alden does a really good job with uh, with what he's given to work with here.
0: We don't. I, I I will always. I don't want to get too deep into this conversation as far as like what we need and don't need, but I I am so over hearing. I didn't ask for this movie because Maybe, yeah. I didn't ask yeah. for Rogue One either, and I love Rogue One to death. Um, <clears throat> so before I. I it, it, it falls or goes away as it just does. That's a great shot
1: of him. Yeah. Flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, have you flying in but, no time.
0: Yeah. So w- one of the things that I, I feel like this is going to be very unpopular and I'm curious what you guys all think. I forgot what you guys, uh, your, your opinion, opinion of this is, but I'm not anti the, uh, the anti the way he got his name, to be honest. I thought it was fine. And yeah, so I, but really, really, yeah, so I, I don't. know. It, to me, it, it seemed it seemed to work, and I and I and I love the fact that he's so by him. He's so just a loner, by himself, that he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna take this last name. But I'm gonna make it my own. I love that, and I love the shot of. Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah, Beckett has a great <laughs> entrance, <laughs> Yeah, honestly, this whole this whole battle scene on Minbon is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, um, See, it, it's the whole it, Mimban
0: itself. The whole this whole part of the movie is one of my favorites, too. Like the whole sequence of like with Chewie and everything.
2: And there's a cool like extended scene of it that got cut that's on the Blu-ray that I wish they would have left it in because it's more great action. On the mm-hmm. play. Yeah. But,
1: but anyway, go, so going back to your question, though, Paul, yeah. about Han, how he got his name like I don't love it necessarily but i mean it doesn't bother me like it's just kind of it is what it is like they didn't have to explain it but the fact that they did i wasn't like rolling my eyes at it like some people um but i'm also not like oh that's really cool i always wondered how he got that name like i mean it's just it's one of those things that i'm like okay it is what it is and you know roll with it so i'm i guess i'm kind of ambiguous on it but i'm definitely not bothered by it like some people
2: yeah that Probably my least favorite part of the movie, if I'm being honest, <laughs> it's it was something where I rolled my eyes when I first saw it. I was like, okay, that's the way they're gonna do it. I mean, I'll live with it. I mean, it's not a something where it ruins the movie for me or the character Han Solo or anything. But it is something where I felt, yeah, he, his name could have just been Solo as his real last name. He didn't need to come from you know just that he was by himself when he was enlisting in the enlisting in the Empire. So. It's it's not something that I love, but at the same time too, it's you know, it's not totally a big deal, but could have done without it.
0: This uh this part where he's walking through the trenches, I just love the look of the war feel. Everyone talked about what kind of war film we're gonna get with Rogue One, and it's funny how this is almost more like a war film, at least not war film, but Oh, part of a war film right here. Yeah. Wrenches mm-hmm. and, and all the, all how dirty dura- or uh, muddy and dirty everything looks. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is the, the criticism of the, um, the darkness. Everything was so dark in the movie. And one of the things I wanted to uh, tell people is that if you're, if you're kind of on the fence about, Say you're listening to this commentary. And you're one of the Star Wars fans who did not buy Solo because, for whatever reason, you know, and you kind of had issues with the the lighting. Um, so, as I and I love I love the nuances that uh, it's like, it not Brian Young was his name um, something Young. Um, he's the cinematographer, and he and he did a lot of interesting things uh, with the lighting. But basically, uh, what every, he did everything by natural lighting. And Kyle, you kind of you're you're you know this is kind of your field, so. Bear with me here. Uh, but basically a lot of complaints during the theater were that this movie is um, obviously super dark or whatever, but I loved it. I loved the, the kind of nuances and it just, it felt and looked so much different than any other star Wars movie before. So what I thought was interesting is when I got the 4k, it was super dark. The detail is beautiful, but it's super, super dark. So when I'm watching, you know, and one thing I, I kind of compared it to was the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is so much brighter than the 4K. And right now I'm watching it in Blu-ray, and it still looks good. There's a little, it's not as detailed as a 4K is, obviously. But man, you if you had a complaint about how dark it is, watch the Blu-ray. It it pops on Blu ray. And mm-hmm. this is a great example of why Blu-ray is not as is, is maybe is not as detailed. Uh, technically, than, than 4K, but it still is a great, great thing to watch things on. And it looks fantastic on this right now. And, and honestly, I almost, it might be my preferred way to see solo at this point, just because of how it really, you could see everything and great, you know, it's a little bit brighter and everything. I'm not sure if you guys uh, kind of could tell that or not, but I, it feels like the complaints about the lighting were on the Blu ray, at least. It looks much, much brighter.
1: Yeah, I know you're all about the 4K, and I still haven't switched over to 4K yet, but I do remember um, when I saw the movie in the theaters, there were a few scenes, especially the stuff in the beginning on Corellia and like in Proxima's Den, um, and some of these scenes on Mimbon too, but I think it was mostly the stuff on Corellia um, mm-hmm. did look really dark in the theater, um, but I'm watching it on Blu-ray, like on the regular Blu-ray right now, and I have no issues with it. I mean, it's some of it is kind of, darkly lit and again that's like by design and you know it's kind of designed to feel like dark and gritty and this is certainly far from the prettiest Star Wars movie um but I think you know it's not really supposed to be it's supposed to be kind of gritty and down in the dirt and showing Han you know on on Mimban and on the streets of Corellia and um you know I I think it fits for the kind of lifestyle that he has um but yeah as far as just the the lighting and stuff on the regular blu-ray it all looks fine to me
2: Now we're getting to the point that I was most excited to see in the movie and how they were going to do it, the first meeting of Han and Chewie. And got to be honest, it wasn't how I was expecting it to be. (laughs) I was curious to see how much they would draw from the established EU uh, origin of Han and Chewie's first meeting. Um, So even though it was a little different, I am glad that it was still, you know, Chewie was the slave of the Empire. Han was there to help him get him out, even though it wasn't specifically that he saw Chewie getting um, mistreated and beaten, I think was the EU version of the story, and he stopped a soldier correct. from doing yeah. it. But I don't know. I got to say, I really like this version too, <laughs> as far as how they came together. It was something different. But as I was watching it for the first time in the theater, I was going, "Man, this is pretty cool." Seeing this as the version of Han and Chewy meeting for the first time, and just seeing Chewy look like that—it just, you know, it's sad to see seeing him so you know, worn down and just looking awful in mud and just, you know, knowing how Chewie was in revenge of the Sith being a great warrior and then seeing him just being broken down like this it just sucks to see, but knowing it gets better from later on, but it just, they did a great job of establishing how rough it was for Chewie as he was being captured by him or being an Imperial slave.
1: Yeah. Like I think the only part I don't like about this and it's not like, cause it's a, a bad story choice or anything. It's more just kind of like, disturbing for a character that i like so much like chewy is kind of the it, like we don't see it but they kind of imply that before han comes along like they've been throwing prisoners down there and he's been eating them
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome i think that's great i don't want chewy eating people Yeah. <laughs> well hold on i want before we go on i love this right here with a carbonite uh yeah foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah it's so brilliant um the reason why i like it so much kyle is because star wars has there it's it's not it's not dumbed down for kids what i'm saying there is legitimate stakes in what's going on it, it is a galactic war and there are you know it, it does have some i want to say adult themes
1: it's not the right word i'm looking for but oh well it's look not, you know you know i'm all for like people getting beheaded no, in know. clone wars and all that stuff just <laughs> But but I'm just saying,
0: like, I love the idea that, like, Chewie is, like, he's been, like, it shows how desperate, also, what kind of what Tim was saying, like, how it kind of sad that what's going, it's more sad to me than anything, because Chewie had to survive. This is what he had to do. Yeah. Well, no, and again,
1: seeing him, you know, dirty and and being mistreated by the Empire and stuff, like, I expected all that, and that I'm totally fine with. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, I, I wanted everything to be all fine and good for Chewie, just... It's just the fact that they imply that he eats people. That I'm like, did we have to go that far? Maybe, but at the same time, we don't off actually see and eats it, the so. arms
2: and, and their dad that. I, I love
0: because <laughs> it, it shows us uh, Chewie's a survivor,
2: and, and how, I like, and kind of adds to it. And one of the things I liked about the changes they made from the EU story that we all knew was how it was them working together to save both of their their lives and get yeah. out of the situation instead of. Han rescuing Chewie, then Chewie owed him the life debt. That was another thing I was surprised they left out. And to be honest, a little disappointed that that wasn't established. But when I first saw it, but after thinking about it and seeing it a few more times, I think I said this on our review episode as well, as how I think it works better for you know their relationship and their friendship that they established from here going forward, that it was just based on mutual respect for each other and them helping each other out, not just Chewie staying because he had to. And they became close that way, but they kind of had that um, bond established right away when they worked together to get out of the situation they were with the Empire. So in the end, I think this way ends up working better for the story that they have as two, you know, two of the best friends we're going to see in a galaxy far, far away.
0: I one hundred percent love the direction, and I and I was thought if you would have told me before. Um, even like, again, maybe it's just the way it was presented in the film, but just like with Solo revealing his name and how Han and Chewie met and the life debt not being absent as far as that goes, to me, I would have been like, eh, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but just kind of going into it, like spoiler free for the most part and kind of see pres- letting the story kind of unfold in front of me, I loved it. And, I, I, and in fact, I think I prefer the idea of no life debt because, again, it, it shows that Chewie wants to stay with Han. Yeah. Not that he was forced to, yes. but yeah. he wants to. And that's what, to me, is a crucial thing. It shows that that's why Chewie was around for so long, you know, not because of a life debt because he actually loves and cares about his about his friend. He didn't, you know develop that because he had to. He developed it because it just happened to more of a natural thing. and and Han, I love the fact that Han wanted to get rid of him, too' He was like, all right, let's get out of here." and then sure. they were going to. But they ended up sticking together. So I, I I love the fact that there's no life debt. To me, it only, it was one of those pleasant surprises that I was really, really into. And like this scene right here is a great example of seeing them together. Like,
3: yep.
0: I, I, and again, I, I love the writing. I thought was, was pretty well, pretty well done for, you know, for something like this. I mean, this is a big moment, like him learning his name. I know a lot of people say like, Oh, Chewbacca. Oh, uh. I'm like, you have to set up a, you have to explain why he calls him Chewy. It's like, yeah, like, because Hans is kind of a jerk. He's like, I'm not calling you Chewbacca. I'm calling you something else. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and at least it wasn't,
1: at least they, it wasn't so on the nose that he goes, Oh, I'm going to call you Chewy. Like, he just goes, Oh, you're going to need a nickname. And we all know what that was.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I love this part. Like the the scene, you know, the wind in their, you know, in their hair and their fur and, Mm -hmm. Even the music,
2: too, is great here. I oh, think the yeah. score is fantastic, but wow, this particular scene, so good. when we're seeing the
1: scenery, like with the ship going through the snowy mountains, is really, really good. Yeah. I will say, I'm going to, well, I disagree a little bit on the score as a whole. I do like it, I think it has some really good themes, but especially like when I listen to the soundtrack start to finish, I feel like they overuse Han's themes. Um, which is like you know the main theme that really? that John Williams actually wrote for. It. Yeah, it's just they if you listen to the whole soundtrack start for, start to finish, there's so many repetitions of that theme in there that I don't know it gets a little old for me. Um, but this scene in particular, or, well, I mean the one that we were just on, um, like you guys were talking about the scene where they're flying in on the ship and that first scene between Han and Chewie, I do really like the music in that. Um, I like Beckett's crew a lot too. I wish we got to spend a little more time with them um like rio is a really fun character um and even isn't there there's supposed to be one more crew member Mm -hmm. that kind of got cut out but you can see him briefly like when they uh in that scene on mimbon when they're on the trench and then they jump out and they all start shooting there's the one big guy with like the big cannon um that's kind of leading the charge and and firing and that was supposed to be a member of beckett's crew too but we never got introduced to that character I think he's supposed to die right there too. That's that's one of the, yeah, reasons I why think so. Beckett Cause then Chewie, the... he's kind of like the big muscle of the operation and that's why yeah. Chewie's like replacing him essentially.
0: Regarding <laughs> Beckett's crew. I love Beckett. I mean, I love all, I love all these characters. I, I, there's not really a character solo that I don't like. And I do think that they, they definitely were underutilized. And I think going back, John Kasdan, and Larry Kazan would have probably have expanded their roles. Probably, it probably wouldn't have killed off Val right away because Val, you know, again, I I love I love what happened with her in the movie. But she was a great character. The the chemistry between um, Beckett and Val in this movie, Woody Harrelson and um, oh my gosh, what's her name? Oh my gosh, uh, Thank so, th- Newton. Yeah, Thandi Newton. Uh, the chemistry they have was actually, I think, pretty good. Like, I loved the 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 history they had together, and it, it's definitely a shame that she had to she had to go so fast. And with Rio, Rio, I like Rio. He's fine. He's, I love alien characters and everything, but but, but yeah, I, I I thought that there was a, it was a bummer that Val had to had to go so soon because they had a great chemistry. But at the same time, you know, I mean, you because. You could have had, you could have switched places with Val and, and Beckett. You really could. I think Val would have been a great mentor for Han Solo, and it would have been a great idea, I think. But at the same time, it didn't. And this is what we got. And I love Beckett. I think Beckett's a fantastic character. And I would love to, to read more and, and more stories about him. And, you know, maybe even show up. I'd love for Woody Harrelson to show up uh, again on a, some, somewhere on a streaming service. Not his own show per se, but like maybe on the, I don't know something on the Disney streaming service or something like that it's for Obi-Wan film or something.
2: So this, yeah. this movie has a lot of great just character moments and scenes and this one in particular we're just kind of finding out what everyone's trying to get to in life after they get this big score and my favorites, of course is Chewie right here does you know showing that he lost his tribe and family and there's that great I, I think it was Rio who says it where he goes you know what's the difference between tribe and family or uh-huh. Just, you know, That was another aspect that I was wondering how much they would explore in this movie as far as Chewie getting back to Kashyyyk and his family and going into the whole life debt thing again to know how that would play and leaving his family to serve that life debt. But again, it all plays out differently than established canon story or pre-canon stories anyway and what I knew for so long going into it from the EU. But how uh, it played out just works so much and added to the history and backstory of these characters that I was really hoping to get more of when I was first going into the movie and it's moments like this that really adds to it. So this is another wow. great moment.
1: Yeah. And a even showing people... when he gets the blaster for the first time, that's one of those things that people go like, Oh, did we really have to like show every little thing of Han's backstory? And like, but it's just, it's a nice little moment. Like if they went out of their way to show him like walking into a, a, armory or something and like picking out that specific gun and they made a big moment out of it it might kind of feel like okay well it's just a blaster like we i know it's iconic because it's hans but you know like i'm glad that the story doesn't go out of its way to make it like a big deal but the fact that you know becca just gives it to him the camera stays on it for a second and we go oh cool that's how han got his blaster like i'm fine well with they
0: said they also set it up earlier which was awesome because they had because it was it was hans gun originally from the empire that he grabs from him and takes it, and then it shows him again messing with it, and he modifies it and gives it to Han. Because Han oh, I thought that was no one monster. of Beckett's guns. No, he took it from Han. That's, remember, he grabs it from him and he goes, you need to get away from, uh, far away from this place. And he just grabs it from him and then walks off. And then he has it again. Oh, I never
1: even caught that, that that was the same uh, that same gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's cool is that it's,
0: it's one of those things where, and again, like you said, it's a great character moment and what it shows about Han Solo later on. And again, this is why I think it's, it's awesome and not forced at all is it shows you that Han is going to do use and do what he's used to and what feels like, you know, what, what is comfortable to him. And obviously a lot of times as people, we're going to be comfortable with, with the first things we do, whether it be like a like a, a style of shoe. Like we grew up, you know, wearing, we're going to probably tend to wear those, you know, as adults usually and not all the time, but usually, and you can tell Hans kind of a creature of habit, kind of a person. So obviously his first blaster is a, is a modified blaster rifle. So he's uses that the rest of his life because that's what he's used to. And I love the fact that that's the gun that he just preferred because that was given to him by a mentor character that he's comfortable with. And so it's like, okay, well then this is why he uses it because this is the first blaster he pretty much ever owned in his whole life as far as we know. So yeah, I just love that. It's not like, oh, I found a blaster and I figured it out on my own because I'm so smart. No, no. It was given to him and he just made it his own. I
1: love
2: that. hmm and this active sequence, man. That yeah, I love. So good.
1: I love this train heist scene, and just the the sort of gunplay here with the blasters, yeah. with them on top of the train having the shootout with the stormtroopers. It always makes me nostalgic because it reminds me of the gameplay footage from Star Wars thirteen thirteen. That's right. That never yeah. got released, but it, like I yeah. can't help but think of that every time I watch this scene.
2: But it's uh, again going back to what I always hope to see in new Star Wars movies: something that's different we haven't seen before in a Star Wars movie but yet still feels so Star Wars and this is one of those sequences that is a big action set piece for one of the movies and I remember seeing the trailers thinking oh this might be you know one of the final uh, action s- sequences for the film but it was you know in the first act pretty much and it's just really just as the movie flows it just has a great pace to it where we get great character moments and it picks right up with a really cool sequence like this and we get our first look at Enfys Ness, who I gotta say, another Star Wars character with a great-looking costume design with an amazing helmet. I remember mm-hmm. seeing it for the first time, thinking, "Man, they just keep doing it in these movies." <laughs> Since uh, we got the Force Awakens, so many cool new characters with these cool-looking helmets, and Enfys Nest really <sighs> stood out because it's something that's so feels tribal. It feels something that's not. This feels very different than some of the other cool-looking Star Wars characters we have with helmets, but it just in its own right, just looks so, so cool and unique. And I love it. Yeah. That's a really great
1: design. I mean, her and her whole band of, uh, marauders Marauders. here. And you know, Mm -hmm. they're, I even love just like the speeder bike designs and the music when they come in. Um, Yeah. Our
2: theme is great. Yeah.
1: This is just
2: amazing.
1: Yeah. And this whole, I mean, just the train, the beginning of the train heist is cool where they're just having the shootout with the stormtroopers, and then having Envis nest swoop in. It's just, you know, adds a whole new dimension to it. Um, and it's just a, yeah, it's a really cool, uh, you know, heist scene they got going here.
0: This is something where this whole sequence and the design, it, it's very, this is a very Western thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and, and what, what's amazing is that, again, keeping in line with this space fantasy, this is this whole sequence combines original, I love this. I love this, by the way. When, when Han looks at him and goes, I'm on it. I just love that performance. It's so good. Um but anyway, I love how it blends that western sensibility yet also keep it in line with the space fantasy. It just look mm. it's just so perfectly Star Wars. It, it fits the so well.
3: Blend.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it, and this is and again, I'm not sure what who's responsible for at least for me for, for feeling this way if it's the Kazdins or if it's if it's the the, the designers or whatever, but regardless it just everything it just feels this sense of adventure feels so much more like star wars than we've gotten it feels like since the disney buyout and again i keep going back to it like this is the probably the only movie i'd say even even besides his prequels that makes me feel like the original trilogy this feels so original trilogy to me uh everything about it and but I not don't,
1: repeating. I feel like it's copying and just repeating. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think part of the reason for that, like you said, this is it's it's like a, a train heist from an old cowboy movie, but on a snow planet on this high tech maglev train, you know, in a space opera. Yeah. Um, but the original trilogy had a lot of Western influences as well, especially in A New Hope. I mean, like when I was in film school, I had professors who would say that like Star Wars is just a Western in space and I would always get so annoyed. Because I'm like, I get that there's Western influences, but there's so much more to it than just that. Um, but there definitely is that sensibility to it uh, too, especially, um, you know, with the cantina scene, but even just with some of the action scenes and just like the sense of adventure. Um, it's a very like just classic old-fashioned like fun kind of storytelling um and so the fact that that is that those themes and that influence is present in the original trilogy and it's present here um i think is a lot of what kind of ties it together yeah
0: no I, I, ron howard just gets it and maybe that's you know obviously ron howard didn't you know he reshot a lot of this movie he didn't reshoot everything obviously but maybe Ron Howard, that old school kind of film mentality is re- a big reason why I feel this way, but it just feels, I just love the way this movie just comes across and is designed. And it's, I don't want to keep saying it. I'm going to be a broken record and I apologize in the future people, but I just, this movie just really, it, 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 it makes me happy and, and not, I mean, all Star Wars movies make me happy, but this one specifically for whatever reason, just, it just, it clicks with me and it just, feels it's so funny because people talk about oh, no, I didn't for solo and I didn't ask for solo either, to be honest. But like what I but this is what I asked for as far as Star Wars movies that I want to see is exactly this. S- something that's different, but yet so still still feels similar enough to where I'm like and familiar enough to where I'm like, oh this all feels like Star Wars, but it's it's a different aspect of Star Wars and things that look recognizable like a Chewbacca and like these marauders and things like that, you know, swoop bikes, things like that. So there's just so many great things in this movie that it just, it feels and looks and gives us everything that I need in a star Wars movie that is not from the original trilogy. And I think that though solo wasn't necessarily the financial, you know, and again, we can debate about this and we may even bring it up in the, in the movie at some point, but it may not, may not, it may have not been the financial, uh, a boost that disney wanted but i think from a, an aesthetic standpoint this is the blueprint this and even already the mandalorian i think is a in rogue one is a blueprint of where they want to go and take the non-saga films and see if you want to see tone and design and things like that to me this is where star wars is a strength that already last jedi and the force awakens i feel that there is i don't know i just I love some stuff in that movie as far as design-wise, but right here, this movie feels, and even the Mandalorian already, I think, looks more in line with what Star Wars kind of needs to look like. And I feel like this is like a great blueprint of what you need to do, what's familiar, but yet also is new.
2: Speaking of new, too, I like how... They wanted to do something different as far as an explosion goes with the coaxium kind of not really an explosion, but an implosion <laughs> mm-hmm. where oh, oh yeah, they have it really stand out as something different with that
1: material like really cool.
0: it's a I saw that at celebration. I think that's an explosion underwater.
1: oh nice and, you know what? yeah now that you mentioned that that definitely looks like that. yeah, yeah. having watched a lot it, of mythbusters in high school and seeing them like blow stuff up underwater and stuff like that. yeah.
0: So, yeah, it was – It was. I forgot what they blew up underwater, but they blew it up, and then they obviously, you know, modified it. But uh, it was uh, the special effects supervisor did the uh, panel for Solo. He kind of went over everything and just showed how, what was real and what wasn't real. It was incredible. It's a great panel. Nice. And, I'll, and there's another part coming up we'll, we'll talk about uh, that he brought up. I love the kind of – you guys have already seen it in behind-the-scenes photos, but – talk about it more it's just kind of it's cool to kind of to go off of but yeah but yeah i love you know beckett now and i love the fact that right here beckett is gonna tell han no you come with me you're never gonna leave i love the fact that you know even though obviously beckett tries to kill han later and that's just how beckett is but he really does care for Han because he tells him you know he, he, you know what like if you come with me this is bad like you don't want to be a part of this
1: yeah like he's, he realized, he knows he's yeah. been like seen stuff and done stuff that maybe he's not proud of and is trying to keep this young guy out of it
0: exactly but he doesn't say it he just says you, you know there's no going back he tries to tell him he's not going to stop him cuz he knows right. he sees himself in it too
1: yeah and i think also like he cares about han but not enough that like he's not really personally invested in him but he likes him exactly. enough that he's yeah. like hey I'm just warning you like you don't want to end up like me like this is kind of your your last chance to get out of it but at the same time Han doesn't like he kind of takes it without question cuz he's like well what do I have to lose like he's got no direction and no family or no crew or anything at this point it's just him and Chewie and Beckett and he's like this is what's in front of me, might as well take it. And obviously at this point his main motivation is still trying to get back and find Kira, but like he needs to find some line of work or like something to do to be able to get a ship to, you know, eventually get back to her. Like that's not really an immediate concern. That's more like his long-term goal. And so it's not like he can leave uh Beckett and just hop a ride off of this snow planet and go find Kira.
2: Yeah. It's almost like how he said when our Phantom Menace commentary, where when Anakin leaves his mother, that's where you know his journey truly begins, and the Skywalker saga gets kicked off. That's kind of that moment was for Han. He has that choice to make to go along, knowing that you know that's probably was going to be his life for the foreseeable future if he goes and makes that the de- makes that decision, and he decides to do it. And Beckett was right, even though he he wasn't quite in it for good <laughs> for the majority of Han's life. This is what his this is what he was a smuggler, an outlaw. And he had that period, of course, where he was with the rebellion, a war hero, but then he goes back to it after everything that happened with Ben Solo. So Beckett was right for the most part, where it was a good part of his life. Mm -hmm.
1: I just wanted to go back to something real quick that you said, Paul, when you were talking about, like, just the look and feel and design of the film and how you thought um, that, like, Ron Howard really nailed it and did a great job with it. And I... I, I mean, obviously there's nothing we can do about this now, but I wish he would have been on board from the beginning just, oh, to, just to see yeah. what he would have been able to do with this movie if he had been involved from the beginning and if he had had more time to work on it and they hadn't kind of tried to rush this out. Because um, obviously there were so many delays and stuff and then they fired the directors and they brought Ron Howard in and they reshot a lot of the movie um, and, never changed 80%, the, right? and never changed the release date. And so that always made me worry like... You know, for some of the criticisms that this movie gets, I'm like, well, how much better could it have been if Ron Howard had like a full development cycle to work on this?
0: Well, this guy, uh, Dryden Voss, he would have been more alien-like if mm-hmm. they did if they had more time. Yeah. Like, so I mean, which is it one thing that like I, them.
1: which is one thing that I don't actually mind because I actually for I mean, I know he doesn't get a ton of screen time or a, a lot of character development or anything. He's just kind of a bad guy, but I really like Dryden Voss. By As,
0: the way. Uh, Dr. Ez, uh, Ez, uh, Evazan, I can't say his name, uh, is the guy who created those people with half the heads. Yeah, I remember. Tava.
1: Oh, I, I, yeah, the, I think I heard the, that. The
2: one visual guide, I mean he made that point out. Yeah,
0: sorry. Kyle, I, I apologize. I just wanted to point that out really fast. Oh, yeah, sorry. no,
1: that's fine. I, I was just saying, like, like I mean, obviously Dryden Voss is not, by a long shot, like, the most interesting or the most complex Star Wars villain. Um, yeah, I but it doesn't I mean, need to be though. Yeah, no, I think for this movie for just having a, a crime boss, they certainly could have done a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I think he's very he's very uh, charismatic.
0: oh for, for sure. yeah, so I like it., I think that's a great point though you brought up, Kyle, is the fact that Ron Howard, for considering how much he had to reshoot this movie, it's pretty impressive that he he was able to make a movie that connected with, I mean, even though it wasn't this huge hit, it's connected a lot of people. Obviously, we had the uh, just recently you had the uh, hashtag Make Solo 2 happen by the resistance broadcast people from Star Wars Newsnet. And kudos to them for orchestrating like a pretty cool, like little, you know, fun little movement there for
2: yeah, pushing... it got trending, right?
0: Yeah, yeah it, it got, that got a lot of yeah. traction. It was and it was great. And you know what? It, it really showed that people do re- really like this movie and they don't maybe like love it and like or everyone's not demanding it to be like themselves, but like the fact that people are like, you know, when they bring up the idea of, Hey everyone, we should, would you want to see a solo two movie happen or whatever? Everyone's like, yeah, that'd be great. And obviously a lot of people do enjoy this film. And mm-hmm. it was great to see that. And I think that Ron Howard deserves a hefty amount of the credit to be honest, because I think he came in and I think he saved the movie. I really do. And I think oh, uh, yeah, obviously definitely. the act- I think the actors obviously probably take majority of the credit, but I'd say like a good hefty amount is Ron Howard piecing it all together, knowing what worked, what didn't work. And these, I mean, think about it. They had to rush this movie out and get made and he did it. And he did it in a way where everyone is still like, like us or me anyway, I should say love this movie to death. So that's, that is no easy feat. So, I don't know. Like I'm with you, Kyle. Like think about if he had, if he was part of this movie from the start, think about how I, I it might've, it may have made more money. Who knows? But at the same time, I love what we got. Like, I, I don't know how much better it could have been either besides maybe like a little, maybe a little bit better dialogue here or there, maybe, or maybe a couple better shots, better, a few better performances here or there. I feel, I feel like the crux is, is so good i'm not sure how much i'd want to change if that mm-hmm. makes any sense either because
2: yeah, well, that's I, just a testament to how good of a job ron howard yes. did because you can't even tell that if you were if someone didn't know anything that went on behind the scenes i don't think anyone would tell that you know there was two other directors who started it and then they had to bring ron howard to film you know reshoot 80 percent of it so it mm-hmm. feels so seamless too and going back to your point about the actors i think um they were probably happy to have ron howard as the director too because you heard some of the rumblings going on about lord and miller wanting more like improvisation going on with some of the especially alden Ehrreich and his performance as han and all that stuff that happened there where they maybe felt that were again the best performance but he felt you know what they wanted wasn't right for his portrayal of han so there's a lot of you know contradicting opinions going on i guess during filming with lord and miller so when ron howard came aboard i think It was just good for everybody involved, actors, production crew, just to get that new calming influence on the set to get this movie done. Like you said, Paul, just in the short amount of time that they needed to to hit that summer release date. So, yeah, just a testament to how great of a job Ron Howard did. And just another reason, like that hashtag said, make Solo 2 happen is just to see what Ron can do with a Star Wars movie from the Mm -hmm. get-go.
1: Now, one one thing you could do. Cartoon, Sorry, Paul. One or, one thing yeah. that I do want to get into because I've you you know you guys were talking about how much you absolutely love the movie, and I think I I I really like it as well. I think they did a good job with it, but I'm going to be a little bit more critical. Um, and I like so far, dare you. Just, so far, I've just talked about stuff that I liked. One thing, and I know we're kind of moving past this scene, but um, it felt a little anticlimactic to me when they're like in the middle of this club and like. You know, as far as we know, up to this point in the movie, like I said, Kira has been Han's main motivation. He's trying to get back to her. He wants to get a ship, get a crew, whatever, eventually be independent and, you know, have the resources to be able to go back to Corellia and rescue her. And the fact that she just taps him on the shoulder halfway through the movie and is like, oh, I'm here. Like, I feel like they could have done that a little bit differently or like kind of built up to it more and made it feel not so just coincidental. Um It kind of feels like they just kind of moved her to where they needed her to be um, for, you know, for for the rest of the story to take place and for her to be able to join Han. At the same time, I mean, I get that she's been through a lot with Crimson Dawn and I would love to get more of her backstory, maybe in like a a separate series or a comic or something like that. Um, So I'm not saying that like... Han should have just gone back and found her on Corelli or whatever. Like, I definitely I like what they did with her character. And I like the kind of shady past that she has. But um, her just kind of randomly popping up there, I always felt a little weird about because it just seems like an anticlimactic resolution to uh, something that was like a really big, important goal for Han.
2: I kind of know what you're saying, but at the same time, it's like, of course, with the story they're trying to tell within this movie, how else? could they get well, her they back good, involved yeah. into the story and have her be a main character and part of the crew going forward. So yeah. in the end, uh, I kind of know what you mean, but it still works for me where, Damn. you know, sometimes coincidences do happen in life <laughs> for some people. Yo,
0: well, look up, look up R2D2 and 3PO winding up with Luke Skywalker. I mean, it's like there's the star Wars is full of coinc- uh, coincidences and things like that. So I don't. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. but in that case, was it really a coincidence, though, because the reason they were already heading to Alder to Tatooine is because Leia was trying to get the plans to Ben Kenobi and Ben Kenobi was on Tatooine because he was watching over Luke. So that was all kind of connected anyway. Uh,
0: um, you're splitting hairs, I think, in my <laughs> in my opinion, in my opinion. It's. I, I know what you're saying, and I think that yes, if you want to nitpick the story to death, you could say that. But to me, like like Tim said, it works just fine the way it is. And I think I actually like the idea that you know he runs in, runs into her, and she's a different person. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like oh, we're in love again. It's it's she is not the same person he fell in love with. And I think no, no, that no, no. and a, that's what
1: I was saying. That that part I lo- I really do like about it. I like that there are new dimensions to her character, and that he wants to. Like he wants to pick up where they left off and she, exactly. you can yeah. tell that she has been through some things that she doesn't want to tell him about. Um, well, and again, I almost—I kind of wish the movie had a little bit more time to explore that kind of stuff. That's another thing too. And I'll, I'll probably get into this a little bit more um, after the fact, but I, I actually watched this movie a couple weeks ago and came to the realization that I actually wish this was, a live action series rather than a movie. I think it would have worked better that way because it almost, in a way it almost feels a little bit like the clone Wars movie to me where you have a lot because that obviously was developed as TV episodes and they were like, Hey, let's stitch them together and make a movie. And I know solo was developed as a movie, but it still feels like a lot of little mini stories kind of mashed together that I think easily could have been like an eight or 10 episode series where you could have stopped and spent more time with each of these locations and each of these story arcs.
0: Right. And before we go, uh, i leave his office here. They have uh, that blue skull from one of the, uh, I believe that is from the, uh, or inspiration from the Han Solo book. Um, oh my God. What, what is it called? Uh, it's one of those, the early uh, Brian Daly, uh, I believe uh, Han Solo books yeah it's i know what you're talking cover. about but i
2: never actually read those ones but another thing yeah. about that scene that's the scene that gets a little better when you see it a second time after you saw the movie already because when dryden voss says you know who i answer to and like you know who what mm-hmm. he'll do if I, we fail again just adds that, that little extra layer knowing who it is which we'll get to later but and this is another highlight of the movie right here it's we don't got to him yet, but we're getting close to the introduction of Han meeting Lando for a really great moment.
1: Oh, I thought you were talking about L337 complaining about the droids fighting, which is uh, <laughs> not exactly a highlight of the movie for me. But um, yeah, I remember when some of the reviews came out and they said that L3 was even better than K2SO, which I'm like, that's that's blasphemy. But no, the Lando introduction here is great. I love that. When, like, as Han is walking into the room, you hear a line of dialogue before you actually see Lando, and he sounds exactly like Billy D. Williams. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Donald Glover is just perfect for this role. So, <laughs> so good as a young Lando.
0: Okay, all right. I'm, I'm going to say this. A lot of people... I thought Donald Glover was 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 a great Lando, but I feel people like just who, who all a lot of people were saying Lando or Donald Glover out outperformed Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. I'm like, mm, not even close.
2: I, I and they're, this is where they're good compliments they're, to each other. That's how I look at it. Like, yeah,
0: absolutely. But what what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is the fact that like Don, I, th- I thought Donald Glover was good. He wasn't amazing like everyone else. I thought he was good. I, and again, his character wasn't supposed to be amazing over the top. He was meant to be a, again a nice, you know, counterpart to to Han Solo here, but I really it really bothers me when people say that that Donald Glover outperformed Alden Ehrenreich. And I'm like no, I I and I I just again it's all subjective, but I really feel that Alden held his own, if not was a better performance overall. As the, again he's the main character, he has more screen time, but. I just I just felt like Alden held his own just fine against Donald Glover. and A lot of people I felt just did not want to give Alden the credit. And because Donald Glover is like, a, you know, a legit movie star and, and a, a legit celebrity now that people just kind of undermined uh, Alden at this point. And I'm like, man, like, I, I don't think I don't think I, I like his performance as Lando. I don't think it's a be all end all as everyone else had uh, put on there. At least a lot of people on there were saying he is amazing. I'm like, oh, I thought he was good. I don't think he was amazing. But that's just me.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think I would I, agree. Like he, I think they both did great. But if I had to pick one out of the two of them to be like the MVP of the movie, I would definitely give it to Alden.
2: Yeah, see, I kind of agree where, yeah, it's a shame when people say that, that he outshines Alden. Like, I don't agree with that. But at the same time, I do agree. He was great as Lando. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I just thought he was just perfect for it, like I said. And just the scene in general, seeing a Sabat game be played for the first time in a Star Wars movie. It's just awesome how how it's edited, how it goes back and forth between the hands they're playing. (laughs) This is a great moment here with Han telling that creature with the six eyes to keep him out over on his own cards. It's great. Yeah, yeah, all of them. I will say, I mean, this is such a great moment in the movie and just a great dynamic between Han and Lando and just how tense a game of Sabat could be when a lot's on the line. This ends up being better than the game where they where he won the Falcon on. Like, I almost wish this was the type of game they had where mm-hmm. he won the Falcon from Lando. And maybe it was, and we just didn't get to see it because it was at the very end of the movie and it had to be shorter, but I just love just everything about this, the banter between Han and Lando, like, the intensity they have playing their hands. It's just all so good.
1: Yeah, I think the scene at the end of the movie where he actually wins the Falcon from him, like, it's... Because that's just kind of the, the resolution at the end. It's not as, there's not as much tension there. And I don't think there needs to be. Because you wouldn't want to sit and watch the same game twice. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, th- this scene is long enough that, like, it gets the point across. It's a good introduction to the two characters. You get a lot of banter between the two of them. And the stakes are raised. Because, like, we all we know that Han wins the Falcon from Lando. Um, and we know that they're both, you know, crafty, like, gamblers and card players and stuff. And so you're thinking, like, oh, is this where he's going to get it? Um, because we know that then, like we had seen from the trailers and stuff that they were going to be on the Falcon, obviously and making the castle run. And so I, at least I'm trying to remember like what my expectations were seeing the movie the first time, but I kind of assumed that this is where Han was going to win it from him. Um, but the fact that, you know, we see the, Oh, actually, you know, they kind of pull a fast one on you and Lando actually beats him. And you see that, you know, he had a card up his sleeve and he was cheating, um, but, you know, it, it kind of threw a wrench in the plan. Okay. And I was I, I, I was, I was like, I, I was like, oh, OK, what now? Um, yeah. And then when you get to the end of the movie, it's like, oh, well, if he's going back to do it again, obviously he's going to win this time. And I assumed that it was still probably like a good, decent length game. And they just didn't show us all of it and just kind of cut it shorter because it's the end of the movie. and We don't need to see all that again.
2: Yeah. I, I also like how I, Lando calls Han "hand" yeah. <laughs> throughout I the course of the movie, yeah. just the him the wrong way. <laughs>
0: Again, because because the reason why it was doing that was because George Lucas couldn't settle on Han, yeah. <laughs> right? So I love that that I love the fact they they have that as a kind of in canon you know idea or whatever. So, but yeah, well, I actually I actually really like that. I love the fact that everything we assume was gonna happen. I love that. <laughs> oh, is, oh my god, it's so great! It's a great again a great great performance. Um, One of the things that I love that Solo has done with the example of Chewie and uh meeting Han Solo and all that stuff with Lando and and Han is that they, they take your expectations and they kind of like make you wait and they kind of do things a little bit differently than what you expect. But I feel they're all in, they're not totally out of the blue and they really work well. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Lando is when he meets Lando, they need his help. and the in fact that Lando kicks his butt, he, he's all pissed off about it. I love the fact that Han is just like, you know, and they, they want nothing to do with each other, basically. And I don't know. I, I just I love that I love their introduction. I do I will say that they're I love the fact that he doesn't win it outright. they They definitely set it up that you think he's going to when He's kicking his butt throughout the uh, throughout that hand or whatever that game, so it's perfect. I, I love the I, I love the fact they're able to uh give us something different where and it kind of make your expectations kind of wait essentially. Mm-hmm. Um I also love here when Lando meets Beckett and he's and he, he refers to him as, as killing Aura Singh, yeah. and I love the fact yeah. they throw that in there. Yeah, the lo-
2: great thing about the movie is. These- cool little Easter eggs and name drops that mm-hmm. only, you know, the real diehard Star Wars fans are going to know about, just get a real kick out of it. Like, when I heard the name Orr sing, I just got a big smile on my face. Like, oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, it's a or even earlier when, when Val says, like, oh, maybe we should have just hired Bosk.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to get Bosk, by the way, but there was this kind of... Uh, there was, some, there, there was some reason why, but John Kazan is Bosk is one of his favorite characters, and they almost got him in the movie, apparently. Or or it was close.
2: Hmm. And we got Clint is, Howard in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> this is the
0: Rancor Keeper's brother, by the way. Really? Is that in the canon? Yep.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. I forgot. Is that in the visual guide or another story? I
0: think so, but something Keely. But yeah, he's, uh, that's his brother, apparently.
2: Well, I'd say he had a he was better off than the rancor keeper Malakili.
1: <laughs> oh, and I like the uh, the reference to Black Spire there too, which obviously I didn't get, uh, you know, thought nothing of when we saw the movie for the first yeah, time. But true. the most recent time I watched it, I was like, "Oh wait, Black Spire!" Like the place in Galaxy's Edge. We're
2: gonna be going there soon.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: Well, you guys will be. I won't be, not till next I year. I just mean in general. Oh no, I, I yeah, passed. I won't be going till next year either. <laughs> does does L three call him Landonus? Is that his real like full name? Is that I, I don't remember if it if that's in, it has not been confirmed that's his actual real full name Landonus.
1: Nah, she just calls him Lando.
0: No, no, she calls him Landonus. Like Did she? it's in
1: the subtitles. Yeah, it's in the subtitles. Oh, I must have dismissed that.
0: Um, she called, yeah, she, she calls him like, like, like kind of like, you know, like his full name. So, but we don't know if that's like a nickname for her or for him from her, or if that's like his real full name. We hmm. I don't know if it's been confirmed hmm. or not.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But then obviously this is a cool shot as we get the first reveal of the Millennium Falcon. A big moment,
0: yeah. Great moment. I got a lot to say about the Millennium Falcon and everything here, but. Uh, I will. What I want to really bring up and emphasize is, I love the fact that the Falcon is a much different looking ship when you first meet it. Yeah, I just love that. It was a brilliant, brilliant decision to do that. The fact that it, it's one way when Han get you know meets it and gets it, and then it gets obviously modified throughout the you know. Again, it's just a kind of a cool idea. I just love that.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Even I like that they even. They keep the continuity with the fact that um, there's the Easter egg in Revenge of the Sith where you see the Falcon and like George Lucas did confirm that that actually was the Millennium Falcon. And like it's got the same blue paint job, but it doesn't have that longer nose. Um, it's still the same shape of like the classic Falcon that we all know and love. But then uh, Lando, I, I don't, I might have missed if he said it already or if he doesn't say until they actually get on the ship Um But he says, like, I had an escape pod installed in the nose. And that's the thing that you see uh, him jettison later when, you know, they're in the maw and stuff. Um, Yeah. And so it's like it looked – it had the original look already and then Lando modified it to make it look different.
2: Yeah. It still looks cool even though it looks really different than what we're used to with the Falcon. It's it's a design that immediately – you still know it's the Falcon, but even though it looks different, it still looks really cool. Yeah. So
0: one of the things that – and you helped me with this, Tim – is I had an issue at first with the uh, performance of, of Donald Glover when he was like, "You've been, uh, I, I I can't believe this, blah blah blah." I didn't. It took it, it took me a couple of showings, but like his performance always bugged me. There now I realize, oh, he's doing he's he's acting in character because he's he's like so surprised that he's trapped there, he's stuck there, but it's because he needed Beckett and everyone to get off the off the the planet. And that's why he made the deal in the first place. And he's just acting surprised and whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I that's just, a
1: I, really good point. Mm-hmm.
0: That was Tim. That was 100% Tim blew me away. I was like, man, because I, I it, just, it just felt very odd to me right there. Because it, it is. It's so like, what? What is he acting like this all of a sudden? He's a totally different like performance, not consistent. Yeah, well, he's kind of hamming
1: it up there. He's like, what? I didn't exactly, like, know this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it was, I have to talk to someone about this. You uh, have experience with this, right? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, so now. I love it. I think it's great. So, um, and really and, quick, I, I reference uh, before we move on. Before we, I, re- I referenced this earlier. There's this new thing they're doing now in Star Wars. D- you'll see the screen that's in front of them in this movie. This is actual physical screen. Yeah. that is In front of them, and it's curved around. And you've seen it in pictures. They talked about how to get lighting and things like that. That's why they have a physical thing for it now is they love the idea of being able to get more of like accurate kind of space, kind of movement and lighting and all that's like in right there in front of them. I think it's just a brilliant, brilliant idea.
1: Yeah, definitely. I remember seeing that on, uh, Ron Howard's Twitter. Like he was posting pictures of that while they were filming and just thinking like, man, that's a really cool idea and a really cool way to do it.
2: We already passed some of the shots, but I just love how, immediately, you know, that Han is falling in love with the Falcon from the exterior of it, and then to when he walks onto the cockpit of it, just the smile that he has, you just immediately feel that connection he's going to have with the ship. Yeah, he's and like, goes, oh, I want
1: this. And it
2: goes into well, that bit of dialogue he has at the end where he's playing cards again with Lando, and he goes, you know, it's a mutual like connection or feeling that him and the ship have, and you just feel that right away.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. well what's, what's interesting is that kind of like how Threepio was created by Anakin. There's a little bit of a connection like that with Han and the Falcon because remember he says his dad built these. Yeah, that's so right. So there is like it's almost so it's almost like a sibling to him, if you will. Mm, that's
3: that's um, a great point, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah. So again, it was. I don't. I don't know if I, was, I think that's probably purposeful. Because there is a connection to that where he's like, yeah, my dad. So you obviously are immediately in tune with the idea that his dad probably talked about how great of ships these are and how great and how fast they are and how dirt, you know, whatever. He probably learned, that's probably the one, probably some of the better memories he has with, with his dad is probably talking about these type of, uh, types of ships. So in the fact that his dad built them, in a way, it's like a you know, a weird version of like a sibling, a sister, if you will, because ships are... Or or women or, whatever. Yeah. So so, so yeah. So I, I always thought that was kind of interesting that the, the fact that they emphasize the fact that his dad built them, and that obviously him bringing that up is is a way to to make it significant that why maybe he has a connection with with this type of ship in the first place.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I never really thought about that. And I mean, you know, I know he said that in the movie. It was interesting dialogue. But to put those two together, it makes total sense when you say it like that. So I kind of like that idea of. You know, thinking about it that way more when you think of Han's love for the Falcon. Mm-hmm. Lando's cape w- room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. And this was the uh, the day that uh, George Lucas yeah. was on
2: set. Uh, oh, He wow. even gave a little directing advice here, or yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, you no, know, yeah, it was a uh, it was this, a part where Han takes the cape and just shoves yeah. it out of the way. Like mm. that was a George Lucas directed moment.
2: Yeah, you should it's get awesome. a credit for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Co-directed by George Lucas.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, too, to see um, like Han's attitude towards Kira, like in that last scene. And obviously now when he's talking to Beckett, too, um, like just him trying to get what he wants. And he's like you see that because this is young Han, he's kind of naive to the fact that even though Kira is kind of trying to warn him that, like, hey, I've done things and seen things like I don't want to tell you about, but, like, it would make you look at me differently. He's like, I don't care. Like, I I like you. I want to be with you. Like, he wants to just pick things up right where they were and doesn't really see that that's not an option anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's... I mean, I I don't know if I would say that's a lesson he learns along the way because it's not something that's necessarily applicable to the original trilogy. Like, you know, Leia doesn't do that to him, but um, it definitely feels like... Like him trying to be all all charming and, and uh, Mr. Smooth on her, like is definitely like classic Han. But at the same time, it definitely feels like kind of young and naive Han as well.
0: Yeah. I love that we get to see Kessel. Kessel is such a great looking planet. I have to give again kudos to them. A great design bringing in something from the EU, the MA, something that mm-hmm. was definitely straight from the EU. There's, you know, there, I remember um, it was a Leland Chi. Who obviously works for the story group for Lucasfilm? He referenced how Solo has so many different references to the EU original EU. Obviously, Mimban was from the Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the planet, the, the muddy planet we see at the very beginning of the movie, um, or uh, whatever. And then uh, obviously, Corellia is another planet that was EU based. You got the Maw, Kessel Spice Mines. You know, Spice Mines and Kessel obviously are George Lucas, but mm-hmm. the Ma everything, all that is all from the EU. Lots of cool EU stuff in this.
1: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we had heard uh, Kessel referenced in the movies before, but this is the first time seeing it. And yeah. um, it's funny because you were talking about how much you love the design of it, and I'm like, it's ugly, but like it's supposed to be ugly. You know, like they did exactly. a good job of making it just like this gritty kind of hellhole where you definitely don't want to be.
2: And we I mean, obviously... they, made it, they made it consistent with what we saw of it in Rebels, Rebels. too. Because that was yeah, that could yeah. be our first yeah. look at
1: it.
0: Yeah, but that was like a very mo- that, again that was well, that's one right. I keep forgetting
1: that that was in Rebels because that was in the very first episode. Yeah, but mm.
0: it's it's one very specific section. You only and obviously it's very like a very basic design exactly, yeah, on, yeah. but the, the detail that you see in this and when you go in, it's uh oh, it's so cool.
2: I'm still waiting for a full blown like battle or ship sequence in a nebula that we've seen in Clone Wars and Rebels, mm. but. What we get later on with the mall is pretty darn close, and it's still pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
0: yeah, the mall's great. God, that design is just so
1: cool. Yeah, I got to say, you know, I got to throw a little Battlefront plug in here. They did a great job of, <laughs> of recreating that in, uh, recreating this whole look of this planet in that map in the game, too. Like it feels like you know, right in the movie,
0: because I I play Extraction a lot.
1: Yeah, like really I'm looking possible. at the Falcon landing right here, and I'm like that whole outside area that is like exactly the map from Battlefront.
0: Yeah, it is. It's exactly it. And since I play Extraction like nonstop, that's exactly I know those I know those area pretty dang well, and I feel like I'm playing it right now almost. It's
1: it's nuts. I love. I love-
0: uh, the There's a pike that she's got.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> love that they bring. I love that they brought the pikes in. I just wish yeah. they made them look a little bit more like they did in Clone Wars.
2: I agree. What I, I knew they were going to be in it before I saw the movie, and I was excited to see, you know, a cool Clone Wars design be brought in live action. When I saw it, I was like, yeah, it's definitely a pike, but not quite how they look in Clone Wars, which is a little disappointing. But yeah. I still think it's cool that they brought that element that we knew from Clone Wars into live action too. Just all that part of Star Wars feeling like this one complete galaxy when you look at the animated style of books and movies. So it was still cool about they were in it regardless.
1: Yeah. I mean, if anything, it's probably the same style of Alien, just wearing, like, a helmet that covers his full head. Because if you watch like, the pikes in the, uh, like, the Darth Maul episodes in Clone Wars, um, they have either, like, helmets or headgear or something on, but, like, at least with the main guy, you can still see his face. And he has, like, a very alien face with, like, the big kind of bug eyes. Um... And so maybe that's what that guy looks like under his helmet. And he's just, you know, got a full face mask on that we haven't seen before.
0: So I love Kira's little like kind of ambassador outfit, as I said before here. And I, again, it's really cool. I almost wish she kind of wore it like at the beginning or more because it's a
1: great outfit. I love yeah. her
0: outfit at the beginning. I love this outfit. It's great. A- um,
1: Amelia Clark just looks good in capes.
0: Well, yeah, you're not wrong. But what I also love, all, as we see here, is uh we see the skiff guard helmet that mm-hmm. Lando uses uses in Return of the Jedi. I just love. I mean, again, not that like we had to see where they got that outfit, but it just kind of make. I just love the idea that that's a very common like skiff, uh, kind of guard kind of garb, because in the comic books in the very first issue of the new main series. Uh, the new main series of star Wars um, Marvel comics from like 2015, they obviously, they have these uniforms also with Han Solo and they, and they get two of them. There's two of them or uh, they have, I think it's a uh, Leia and Luke are both in the same outfit that Beckett has here. So they obviously get another one at some point, but I just love the idea that this is a, a common, like kind of kind of costume that people use. It's just kind of like, Oh, we need a disguise. I just, I like that.
1: Yeah, honestly, I wasn't crazy about it because maybe just because in my own mind, like I always assumed that they didn't have that outfit ahead of time, but that Lando kind of had to work his way into, like, you know, uh, like work his way into Jabba's palace and like get hired there as a guard and stuff. And because you see other guards okay. there wearing that. Um, But again, it's one of those things that I was like, oh, well, I kind of wasn't expecting that, but I don't mind it. But on the other hand, I love that we finally get to see Chewie rip somebody's arms off.
2: (laughs) Well, we don't see him actually do it, but it's still cool to see the
1: Aftermath. Well, yeah, I mean, they still have to make it gruesome. They they have to make it kid friendly. Yeah, and it is still gruesome. I mean, you see him holding the severed arms, but yeah, yeah, I think to actually see them get ripped off might have been uh, not too good for the movie's rating.
2: And this is probably my favorite Easter egg name drop in the film. Mm-hmm. Terracossi. I mean, when I saw when I heard that, I just started laughing with a big grin on my face. Like, I can't believe they mentioned that in that uh, one of the worst Star Wars games of all time yeah. <laughs> is, is now part of the canon. As far as the technique and the martial arts style it's based off of. The fact that it is now part of the main canon it is awesome. But I just really think it was cool that they decided to Take a real deep cut there and mention Terras Kasi in here. It's just
1: so cool. EU, man. Yeah. EU deep cut. No, I was with you, Tim. Like, I just had a good chuckle at that. But it's funny because even though the game is so infamous for being terrible, like just the fact that it's a fighting game and that Terras Kasi, I mean, it's called Masters of Terras Kasi. And so that's, you know, the, the fact that that was like a fighting style, I was like, oh, you know, even though that seems like a weird thing to reference, like if you need a name of a. Melee fighting Martial style in Star Wars, like yeah. it totally makes sense that, yeah. that would be in there.
0: Brilliant! Again, I love, I love that they're doing that.
2: This is another cool sequence coming up here with, you know, Chewie seeing more Wookies enslaved and how he just can't stand by and not do anything about it. I don't get a little ahead of myself here, but it's just something that not expecting to see a lot of in the movie, but we got a little glimpse of it in the trailer and which made me excited to see it. And then even though I wish it was a little bit longer <laughs> seeing Chewie and other Wookiee just, you know, go full blown and show what strength they have and take down their the Wookiee
0: That's on meth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to oh, say gosh. and you, you
1: know what's funny this is now two times that we've seen wookies on Kessel where I didn't love the design. Yeah, you had the, you had the wet dog wookies in Rebels and now you have the Planet of the Apes wookies in Those uh, are the Kenner in Solo. toy
2: rub Wookiees. it's just something about the planet that does you know affects the wookiees look you know? yeah <laughs> just, there's, it's, there's it's, also
0: a blonde wookiee that's in here yeah that's that right. it's cut out it's cut out though you don't really it's, you see him like running by for a second but yeah it, it looks weird
2: yeah and again it's another thing I like Han being okay with Chewie to do yes I mean, he knows what mm-hmm. he has to do yeah
0: and he says all right I'll see he's like all right I'll see you you know yeah. I love see right here he's like you know what here I love this and this is, this to me is the beginning of their true friendship right here. And yeah. he tells him, he's all right, I'll see you around, man. And he, he thinks he'll never see him again. And then he ends up seeing him again. I, I, I just, and you know, I just love that. Love, love, love it.
2: Uh, see, that's awesome. See what you, we can really do <laughs> with this strength. Yeah. All right,
0: mythatic Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so they just look like characters from Planet of the Apes on stills.
0: <laughs> I mean, just they couldn't have gotten a different, like, actual looking, like, you know, Wookie. It's like you know, actually looked like them. I mean, it's just weird. Well, yeah, it's
1: but like pretty, they all have—they're all like bald in the face.
0: But you know what? Though at the same time, they are being enslaved yeah, into that's, that's not all Wookiees. Yeah. yeah, and not all Wookiees are the same. That's what I said.
1: I yeah. love that. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I like all his little again, his improvised, dumb plans that are just so crazy that they actually work.
2: I will say, I guess Kessel Guards and the Spice Mines, out of a bunch of cool looking helmeted characters we get in Star Wars for soldiers, they don't have one of the cooler ones. Ten, <laughs> Which no. is way too big.
0: But I, I like that I like that it's different though. I don't I don't love the design myself, but I'm not I'm not like we they, they could have done something so much better. I mean, I guess you could yeah. have done something better but at the same time i feel that they're kind of meant to be clunky and not they're not meant to look good because they're supposed to be kind of like a crappy prison
2: you know
1: yeah i mean like i said not all of them are gonna look cool yeah (laughs) well like i said earlier like everything on kessel looks ugly but i feel like that's by design like i appreciate that design choice that this is just (laughs) yeah it looks like an unpleasant place that you don't want to be and it's not pretty and there's not like you know it's not it doesn't have nice aesthetics
2: I love this with Lando. He has his own video podcast that he's doing. <laughs> yeah. This, this Lando's is actually a from his, e,
0: his EU. This is actually from the EU book, apparently. Oh. Like one of those stories um, with Blue Max or whatever it is, or is. I'm not sure about Solo or, or the Han Solo books or not. But he's actually talking and referring or might be. I think you know, he's talking about what happened in one of the e, uh, EU books. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Huh. yeah, a like, lot of the Han
2: like solo, like Lando EU books, I'm not too familiar with. So, like, some of that stuff I didn't catch. Well,
0: of I, you know I, don't, I, I only read some of that when I was a kid, but like, uh, people had referenced it. Like, they, they talked about when it came out. Like, that was John Katz talked about, yeah, we did that, like, you know, kind of a nod to those old books and things like that. <laughs> See, I just love all those performance here. He's so, he's a perfect young Han, man. He's just clumsy and. Oh, I just love it!
2: Cool. <laughs> Chewie returning the favor right there, mm-hmm. so awesome.
0: <laughs> again, this is this, this is where their their relationship truly like takes place, and you know, their their true friendship. And this is where, I, again, I love it. I think I think Chewie knows like if I if he goes if he fights with them, he'll be you know he might there's a chance he might get caught himself, but he also cares about Han because yeah. Han's a good person, you know, and I if think he, he re- knows, you know.
2: I mean, just going to your point later on, we're going to see in just a little bit him deciding to choose to stay with Han not go with the Wookiees and mm-hmm. help them find, you know, their missing families to go back to Kashyyyk. You know, like you said, you know that this moment really, you know, established and cemented, you know, the close relationship that they're going to have for, you know, the rest of their lives. Yeah.
0: Well, I and I, and you know, thinking about it. What why he why Chewie doesn't go with Han is potentially because he knows like if I go with them, I'll we'll be hunted our whole life. But if I stay with Han, I might be able, you know, who actually like is my friend. We care about each other. We might actually be able to get find my family. I think he I think that's he knows true, yeah. that Han would help him. You know, I love this is great.
1: Yeah. This yeah. Shot, the the pistol ow. toss and then just Han and uh Han and Lando going at it.
2: And that's yeah. something where Alden just nails the mannerisms of Han and what Harrison Ford did when he was ever firing his blaster. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just dead on how Han holds and shoots his blaster. It's so
1: great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't know why they felt the need to slightly change the sound effect of the blaster.
2: See, I didn't even pick <laughs> up on that. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, like, what? It, it sounds like it, it. I mean, you can obviously tell it's his, his classic blaster from the original trilogy, but I don't know. To me, like, the sound of it doesn't quite have the same punch to it.
0: But I think it's by design, again, because he's going to modify that DL44 over the next, like, you know, years and probably get different versions of it. But he, but like I said, I don't think because I don't know if that's the exact gun he has forever. But I think he I think he keeps something like it for the, for the rest of his life because that's what he's comfortable with. But it I don't think be. it's.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it obviously it looks similar enough that you're like, oh, that's the gun that he always has. But I mean, yeah, who knows with all the different adventures that he's been on, he could have. Lost it and got a different, you know, got the same kind of one. But at the same
0: time, he, he, let's assume that it is the same one that he has, in you know, through Force Awakens, I he probably modifies it so much that again, it would be it would make sense that it wouldn't sound exactly the same if he keeps modifying it differently or a different cannon on the end of it or whatever, because it looks yeah. a little bit different because it has a black end of it instead of a silver tip, correct?
1: Uh, I don't know. I'd have right to see right it now. close up again. Right.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the, the gun, it's it's not all black. I think he has a silver tip at the end of his uh in the other films. I think. Could be wrong.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I like this whole just frantic, chaotic shootout here though.
2: Yeah, same here.
1: Oh, and then <laughs> there's a line here that always makes me think of uh Oh, yeah, Kira comes out, and she starts chucking grenades and blowing up these cannons, and it makes me think of in uh, Infinity War when Okoye goes, why was she up there the whole time?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she,
2: should have, she should have came out and yelled Jakaris oh, that she threw the grenade. Love this. <laughs> love this.
0: Oh, going up the ramp, and he's shooting. Oh, that's a great shot.
2: Yeah, this whole sequence, I mean, when they get to Kessel, as soon as all the action starts where Han Go into the you know the mines of castle and start causing a ruckus le- all the way leading up to what we're going to see in the castle run. It's nonstop cool action from this point forward, or I should say from once they <laughs> got to that moment when the mines up all the way to the end of the castle run is so great all the way through. I mean, this is it. We've heard about it for so long, the Kessel Run. What exactly was it? What did it involve? Why did Han have to do it? And why is it something that he felt he needs to brag
1: about every yeah. time it comes and up? And is a parsec a unit of time or distance? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I just felt this sequence really delivered on it, being living up to the legend that Han Solo really hyped it up to be and why he chose to brag about it so much, because it did seem almost impossible, and they barely did make it out of it. And it was, a, was because of Han, too, so he does have the right to brag about it. But it was just such a cool sequence to see play out, finally, after knowing about it for so long with, since the New Hope. It was just really cool to see play out on screen. And just, yeah, Again, one of those things I was excited for this movie going into it, and it was a sequence that more than delivered on it.
1: Well, it was cool to see. I think for me it was maybe a little underwhelming the way it all played out, um, especially because I thought it was going to involve Han, like, navigating a lot more obstacles and stuff and the fact that it's basically just kind of did <laughs> well he <laughs> me, did anyway. but well yeah. i guess the the fact that like he didn't really have to navigate the entire maw or like make the full kessel run it was more just like get stuck get out of it and put some coaxium in the hyperdrive and just jet out Dealing the rest of the way really fighters, fast but, or his tail um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's definitely cool. I I think maybe I just had a different image in my mind of what it was gonna be like. Um but there's definitely some fun moments in this sequence coming up. I just love this visual of yeah. you know the sort of tunnel through the Maw and the Star Destroyer coming through. Yeah, that's awesome. With, yeah. you know, just sort of the lightning flashing and the clouds around that is just an awesome visual.
2: I just remember the That being my favorite shot of the first teaser trailer when it came out, just thinking, oh man, that's a shot of an Imperial Star Storm we've never seen before, and it looks amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I like Han's little, uh, you know, again, just his cockiness here of like, oh, yeah, I've been with the Empire. I know they're probably just, you know, coming to check <laughs> on the the disturbance on Kessel. Like they're not going to bother sending TIE fighters after one little freighter. And the next, you know, a whole squadron of TIE fighters comes out and you're like, oh, time to turn around.
0: I had to step away for a second, but you guys mentioned the uh, the original Empire music. when No, the- we didn't. The-
1: no, yeah, not Star yet.
0: Story, yeah, yeah, so was, when the Star War shows up and it does that, I love that it called a callback to A New Hope. Was, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, that's the music from A New Hope in that one. That's um, what I mean. The, the, the Empire meaning,
0: like, not the movie. But oh, the movie. okay, I thought you meant
1: Empire Strikes Back because we're going to hear no. a bit of that in, you know, the uh, the Asteroid Field theme um, well, yeah, you, in you, a minute. Here. Yeah, that too.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I love the callback for A New Hope. That was great.
1: Yeah, no, that was that's a a cool musical cue there.
0: Oh, I love that! It's and a, just it's a this play is, off
1: of, yeah, yeah, it's really fun just seeing Han piloting the Falcon for the first time. Um, but and it gets fact even
2: that, better when Chewie gets in the co-pilot seat. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I also the, love
0: the, a playoff of the. Uh, I have a, I have a good feeling about this. Mm-hmm. I love
1: that. And again, seeing right. the way that the Millennium Falcon is not quite the one that we know, because yeah. uh, it's weird seeing Beckett so on the cannon, ganky. and there's, yeah, there's cannon. only one little gun. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I like when he keeps trying to say these different expressions to tell them if they're still on him but Han can't understand them. Yeah,
1: like, well, aren't they or are they? <laughs> also, kind of reminds me of the Avengers in the first one when uh, Thor is like, "Oh, they were battle. You, you people are bickering like build snipe or something like that." Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. we don't know what that is. And.
2: Uh, TIE Fighter attack theme song never gets old. Even though we heard it in The Last Jedi, we hear it in Solo, but it's just an iconic thing that just fits anytime there's a sequence where there's TIE Uh, Fighters attacking any any type of ship.
1: And then just Han doing that flip. That's awesome. And the the asteroid field theme from Empire coming in here.
2: And this just might be either my favorite or second favorite moment of the movie (laughs) where Chewie just knows exactly what to do, Him, what, what Han says, and then when Kira agrees, you know, maybe you should be sitting here instead. <laughs> and he goes to that co-pilot seat, and they just give that look to each other. It's so amazing to see that. This is Han and Chewie's first flight together in the Falcon. Mm-hmm. That, Guys, I amazing. always get goosebumps.
1: Yeah. I get
0: goosebumps, mm-hmm. and I got emotional. The right first there, time I saw look, it, I got right emotional.
1: There. And I yeah. love his line, too. Like, how do you know how to fly? 190 years old, you look great.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I every time I watch this uh, that part I love it, but I guess get like kind of like misty eyed. It's weird. I get like I'm like oh, so it's a beautiful well, moment. It, yeah, music. The music, a part the music the, does help too.
2: A part of it too, because you know the last time Han and Chewie are gonna see each other too now when the Force Awakens. So it is all their iconic moments that we know from the film just flash back to you as you see that moment right there where Chewie gets in that co-pilot's chair and Han gives him that smile. It's so great.
1: Yeah. This is one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite moments, too, when he's uh, telling Chewie to pull this move with the landing gear. And he says, it's a little something I picked up from my pal Needles, yeah. best street racer in all of Corellia, <laughs> before he crashed <laughs> and died doing this.
0: And that, also and that was conf- flee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is a John Kazin confirmed. That's a reference to Back to the Future 3. Yeah. Oh, OK. Or Back to the Future films, because he plays Needles in Back to the Future 2 as well. but. Which, by the way, I just I want to bring up the fact that I really, this movie needs a commentary or needed a commentary. And I was, and why couldn't John Kasdan have fit, you know done a commentary? Let him do one. I mean, it would so awesome. Ron, him, imagine him and Ron Howard together. Oh yeah, be a great man. That'd be so it's, Great. It,
2: it's a shame that the Star Wars story films, both of them, don't have any commentary tracks on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: I can see why this one doesn't because of all the drama surrounding it right basically but and kind of the same with uh rogue one i mean there wasn't as much high profile drama with people getting fired and stuff but they had to change a lot and uh do a lot of reshoots and well
0: stuff. they basically with rogue one they we'll, we'll talk about more for the rogue one commentary they basically gareth edwards had to play ball or else kind right. of a thing.
1: So, well yeah and i'm just saying like there wasn't there wasn't as much publicized drama, but there was still stuff going on that would maybe make them go, eh, maybe we won't do a commentary for this one.
2: And I really liked that aspect of how they decided to use L3. I mean, I I know a lot of people weren't happy with it, but I just liked it because the character gets to live on now in the Falcon. I mean, she's there forever, (laughs) at least as far as we know, and it goes into certain little other moments we get in the movies, like an empire when CBO says, you know, I don't know where your shirt learned to communicate, but it has a particular dialect. And he just attributes that to being L3 when he's trying to talk Mm -hmm. with it in Empire. So I think it's a good move to do for the character just to have her still be living on in the Falcon. And one of the things I know I am, and I've seen a lot of other fans hoping for, now that we know Lando is going to be flying the Falcon in the Rise of Skywalker, if maybe a little nod or a reference will be made when he goes into that co-pilot or the pilot's chair again and if he mentions l3 or not i
1: think it'd be a cool little reference if he does that would be cool and you know i don't particularly love l3 as a character but i still think it was cool just a a cool little uh connective idea to um you know have her memory core installed in the falcon i mean it makes sense because lando said that she has the best navigational database like of any droid in the galaxy essentially and so to plug that into the Falcon that explains how Han's able to become such a good smuggler and has, you know, what he calls the fastest ship in the galaxy. But I mean, I think by this point we kind of realized that a lot of that is attributed to, uh, little tips and tricks that he has, like a really good hyperdrive and a really good, uh, navigational computer and the occasional injection of coaxium into his engine to give him, you know, a speed <laughs> boost when he needs to. Um, but so just that idea of like having, a really advanced droid brain in the navigational computer of your ship um, is just, you know, one more cool upgrade for the Falcon. And then, like you said, that scene where 3PO says, you know, I don't know where your ship learned to communicate, but it has a very peculiar dialect. It's like, well, L3 certainly has a very peculiar dialect. Yep. <laughs> and it's kind of fun to imagine, like, her and 3PO bantering with each other in cyberspace. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you understand c PO getting so frustrated, as he did in Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well,
0: there's a lot of fans out there, they really criticized L3 and, and what you guys were kind of talking about as being the c- connected to the Falcon. And I just couldn't disagree with them more. I, I think it was a great idea to have L3 be a part of the Falcon and, and, and everything. So, cause it, it wouldn't make sense because obviously they couldn't have L3 keep going or they could have, but the problem is they have to destroy her at some point because you there's no L3 in Empire Strikes Back, so you can't have L three survive, and it wouldn't really make sense then to have her survive after this movie and then have to eventually you know what I mean. Like oh, Lando so, could have just, just gotten
1: tired of her and gotten rid of her, like uh
0: right. But this yeah. is a way if you again so and so and and instead of like having her get blown up by a bounty hunter or Lando getting sick of her, like you said. She's given a great, like, she goes out doing what she wants to do, and she's a part of the saga going forward as part of the
1: Falcon. Yeah. So
0: I just, you know, I understand there's, 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 people can disagree with all whatever, but I just, I don't want to, I just think it's a, she has a great, like, for what was given and what's, what they have to do. She's fine. And I love the fact that she's connected to the saga going forward now. So that, that again, that's
2: just me. I 100% agree.
1: Yeah. And we've been so busy talking about L3, we haven't even talked about the scene of the black hole and the maw and this giant space squid, whatever thing this is, you know, that monster that's trying to eat him and, uh, gets sucked into it. And here, you know, the Falcon's about to get sucked into the, the black hole and Beckett's injecting the coaxium into it. Um, and I said earlier, Paul, I don't know if this is while you were away, but uh, Tim and I were talking about just the, the Kessel run, um, and kind of finally getting to see this moment. And I I said it d- maybe didn't quite live up to my expectations just because I feel like – like this almost feels like a shortcut of – It is. It, right. It but is at the shortcut. same time, like it, it kind of makes sense though. Like – Yeah. I don't know. And, and on the one – like I do like – especially just the visual here where the – you know, they hit it – and it doesn't work at first, which is so classic millennium Falcon. And then right. Yeah. As they're about to get <laughs> sucked <laughs> in that <laughs> the boost kicks in and they punch their way out of there.
0: I, I was one of those people that I liked the idea of the Kessel run. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I love this movie. So everything about this movie, I have no problem with. And I think the Kessel run, I, I love the idea. It, again, it subverts your expectations to, it's not me or it, it does it in a way where it's not so predictable. You, di- you didn't expect the castle run to be a shortcut. You expect it to be a full-on race, but mm-hmm. this is totally different. I love the idea of doing something completely, totally different and and giving us something that we didn't expect. Because in the end, that it gives the movie a way more fresh feel because of it. So, and I love the idea instead of like making it a fast ship that he that it. The reason why I made the castle run is because of that ship. It's more, which is also probably, uh, it still is why they, they made it, but it's it's him piloting. It's his, you know, it's, yeah, this is the ship that I use. It's the ship that made the Kessel Run, you know? Like, it's still, yeah, and also the fact that it's not even, like, 12 parsecs. It's still, like, yeah. 13, <laughs> you know? Or, or almost 13.
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, who knows how much it actually was, but, uh, yeah, I love that Chewie just disagrees with him and he goes, not if you round down, buddy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, it's obviously that. shorter. Of course, I'm not gonna it, brag about it. Of course. Yeah,
0: well, but... it's closer. It's closer to 12 than you know, the not closer to 12. That's why this right here is so perfect. When he yeah. says, "I hate you," and he says, "I know," like, <laughs> yeah. but it's so beautifully done.
2: I just, I just keep thinking about Empire when Han first mentions Lando to Leia when they're in the Falcon. And just goes, "Me and Lando, we go a long way, Lando and me, or we go back a long way." And this is part of what i'm sure he's thinking about here the first time they had their first adventure together and what he did to the falcon what lando said to him so this well, all that stuff this goes into the reason why i love like getting prequels like this where we fill in that history for characters we knew about and now we can picture this when we see moments like that in empire and i just love
1: that i also am curious to know like I mean, obviously, Han goes back to Lando at the end of the movie to win back the Falcon yeah. from him. But
0: I know we're going with this. Yeah. But
1: I wonder if the, did the, I I want to know if they have more run-ins and more adventures together over the years, or if that was pretty much it. Because then I hope not. Yeah. Well, because when they're going to Cloud City and Han's like, "Oh yeah, he's an old friend, and we go way back and whatever," and then Chewie growls at him and he goes oh, well, that was a long time ago. I'm sure he's forgotten about that. Like, I'm thinking maybe this is what he's talking about. Like, oh, when he could be, banged yeah. up his ship and it got his be, droid you know. killed and all that.
0: I, I for one, I, I was thinking the same exact thing too, Kyle. And I was wondering, I was gonna bring that up on the commentary. I, I, I think it's possible. I hope it's not though. I hope they have a few more, like, you know, a few more adventures together where you can build off that experience with, Empire, because it's great to have this and Empire and know where their, their history begins. But why would why would he feel so comfortable to go with someone he barely knows and, and you know, got a ship off of them? You know, I I don't I just don't see that happening. So I hope there is a few more adventures in, in line. Because think about this. If this movie was huge, Han Solo and Lana would be back in the next movie. So I kind of yeah. feel that, yeah, they probably they were probably meant to have more adventures between now and Empire together. I would, yeah. Again, I would but, hope so, but Well, it's possible. At,
1: at the same time, I mean, especially maybe if they did a trilogy, I could see them maybe going back to Lando like in the third movie or is it even like if they just did a direct sequel, like Lando could come up in it. But I don't think we're going to get to a point where like Han and Lando are like in a crew together, you know, like once he wins the Falcon, him and Chewie are off doing their own thing. They're going to Tatooine to meet up with Jabba and probably going to meet Boba Fett and Greedo and all those guys. Um, And I think you could bring Lando back into the story at some point where something comes up where like they need something and Han's like, oh, I know a guy, you know, kind of like in this one where like Lando's got the fast ship or maybe Lando's got some information or some resources or something that they need and they go to him or call him in from, you know, wherever he's at. But I don't think he would ever be kind of like a mainstay in like a, a movie or a series about like Han and Chewie and their crew or whatever.
2: Yeah, I kind of agree on both because there has to be a point where they have a successful mission together where they leave on like kind of good terms to make Han want to go back to him on Bespin, to because knowing that not all of it was just you know Han messing up the ship and then taking the ship or winning the ship from him where it's not all a negative outcome for Lando whenever he's with Han. But I don't know. I'm sure we'll get those uh, stories filled in somehow, or I should say those answers. Um, explain to us at some point and fill in the gaps between now and when they meet in Empire.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it, it could work well either way, because if this is, if this is the last time they meet before Empire, then it makes perfect sense. And you know why Chewie is, you know, why Han has to be like, Oh yeah, I'm sure he's forgotten about that. And you know how they met and how he got the Falcon from him and all that stuff. But I also think if they want to go in and fill in more stories there, like it doesn't take anything away from that. Like you you totally have room to flesh out that relationship more if you want to. But also, I love that scene there where Han steps up to kind of take charge, and he's like, "All right, I got a plan. You see that ship over there? Yep. All I got to do is snap and thirty armed mercenaries are coming out, and the ship takes off, and he just steps back like, "All right, Beckett, you do your thing
0: <laughs> again i I love that Han's trying and he's failing, and he's he's yeah. learning. He's learning yeah. from this,
2: yeah, but yet, yeah, it still kind of always goes that way for Han. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Even though he tries to the night in The Force Awakens, where he tells Chewie, "Yes, I do every time." Right? I can't help <laughs> yes. but wonder
1: if Chewie was maybe giving him crap for this, like, "Oh yeah, like that time on Savarine when Lando took <laughs> off on you." <laughs> yeah. So,
0: tell me if what you guys thought when she takes off her helmet and stares at Beckett. Did you think for a second that was his daughter? Because he's like, "Uh, you know what I mean?" Because she's like staring at him and everything.
1: Nah, I think no. Beckett was. I think Beckett was just surprised. I thought that, for a second. Yeah, yeah no, I yep. didn't think there was any relation there. I think that stare was just her staring him down and Beckett being like, oh, crap, I was not expecting a, a young girl to be under that helmet.
0: No, right, right. Just for a split second, I thought that was a possibility.
2: I know this is another different direction that I thought they were going to go with Enfys and her marauders as far as when the trailers and different t- TV spots, we saw that showdown. It looked like they were gonna about to have where, if we would get one more, you know, final like battle between the two and another gunfight. But I remember just being surprised when she takes off the mask and she kind of explains right here their backstory, how they're not really bad guys or just marauders out hurting people, but they're fighting for a reason and for a cause. And this leads to eventually them teaming up for to outsmart Dryden. And, of course, we'll get the reveal later on at the end what they really are. But it was just another one of those things that subverted expectations about a group of characters and who we thought were going to be the main antagonists of the film. Mm-hmm. And we get two tubes again. Yeah. <laughs> love, and also,
1: tubes. I know we talked about this movie like feeling like the original trilogy and having a lot of EU references and stuff. But I don't think we mentioned one of the things <laughs> that I appreciate the most about this movie is that they brought back Rodians and Twilex.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. You can have new designed alien species. You just mix them in with some of the old classic ones, too. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> you, we can have Rodians and Twi'leks and Wookiees and whatever the heck uh, Lady Proxima is all in the same movie.
0: I love that the Rodians also orange. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they're not all just green. And how about here when you guys were first seeing this dialogue and interaction between Beckett and Han and where they leave things, Beckett said he's going away. Did you actually buy
1: it at all? Or did you know, yeah,
0: I bought it for a second. Yeah, I, I think
1: I did because um, it just seemed to me sure. like uh, this seems in character for Beckett. Now, when he betrays Han later, that also seems in character for him. Yeah, um,
0: totally. Yeah, yeah. But I, I could also
1: I, buy him just wanting to walk away and not get tangled up with Dryden Voss, And he's like, hey, I'm a scoundrel. I'm going to take my money and, and walk away and be done with this.
2: Yeah, it's like he sells it really good and you would buy it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, there is going to be a betrayal when Han <laughs> has his plan for to out, outsmart Dryden. and But who's left to betray him? And the only person was pretty much Beckett. So it's kind of like I, I expected him to come back. Yeah, I thought it
1: might have been Kira. And then when when uh, when Dryden says like, no, not Kira. And then he gets on his comm and he goes, will you come in here, please? And I was like, oh, wait, who's it going to be? And then I was like, oh, it's yeah,
3: Beckett. Kyle, with that. you too. Yeah, I
1: still, you. I still I still wasn't sure until Beckett walked in. And I was like, oh, that's a little, I mean, that's the obvious that's choice, the ob- I guess. Ob- I thought yeah, we were exactly. maybe in for a surprise <laughs> reveal. But I was like, okay, yeah, not I'm not really surprised there. Well, the
0: guys are the, the same birthday, about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I I also love the uh, when Han Solo Han Solo goes to Beckett, he says, "Joining the cause, Han Solo." I just love his delivery; it's so perfect. <laughs> uh,
2: and here it is, teasing up or setting up a possible sequel story, which oh, I still want to see. <laughs> just mm-hmm. this little tease right here.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh. Seeing Alden Han Solo and Jabba the hut talk, oh.
3: Uh, uh.
1: here's the thing, and I said this about this movie already, and I'll talk a little bit more about it at the end, but you know, when we had the whole make Solo 2 thing happening I really don't want Solo 2 as a movie, I want a spin-off series that continues this storyline, because then you could have episodes focused on Han and Chewie and Jabba and bring in Boba Fett and Greedo and stuff and then you could have a separate storyline and you could maybe have episodes just about Kira and Maul and Crimson Dawn because the main thing is like now that we've seen Maul and I know we haven't gotten to that part yet but like now I want to know more about Maul and Crimson Dawn and I want to see that whole side of it and obviously the connection there is Kira like you would think that if they're going to continue the story at all that Han and Kira would have to meet up again at some point and if you're going to show Kira then I want to show her with Maul and see what they're all up to but I don't want Han and Maul to cross paths because Like, I don't want to see him in A New Hope with Obi-Wan and Luke when he says, you know, I've been from one side of the galaxy to the other, and I've never seen anything to make me believe there's a force. So he obviously has not encountered any Sith Lords. Um, Yeah. But, so that's what I'm saying. You could have, like, a whole... you know, series of episodes or even scenes, like it could be a a tangential storyline. Like you could just be cutting back and forth between the storyline of Han and the storyline of Kira. And then maybe just the two of them, uh, end up, you know, together, um, towards the end of the series, but without Maul in the picture.
0: Well, John Kasdan during the make solo two happen thing. He kind of basically said what the, what the sequel um, story would be. It'd be a gang war between the three different factions: the the uh, the Huck Clan, the uh, Crimson Dawn, and the, I forgot the other one, the Black Sun. I think maybe was oh, the other one. I'm I would to love to see
1: that. Cool.
0: So, but that's what he kind of teased was was a gang war that Han Solo would be in the middle of essentially, and that's what Kira would be kind of in as well. So, obvious obviously acting as his lieutenant. Um, so that's what kind of is intriguing, and maybe we'll still see that of John if they do let John Casen do a, you know, solo um, Netflix or not Netflix but Disney Plus show. Because to be honest, I think it's very possible. I think that a solo like like series would be very easy to make, not too expensive in retrospect, or or you know, and whatever kind of compared to other things and. I think you can do one pretty inexpensively inexpensively and that people would would definitely invest in it because they all and you could put solo on your, you know, the movie and say, hey, you know, we got the movie, we got the new streaming service. You can watch it all together. I mean, this it's a I think it's a very, um you know, it's a it's a it's a decent possibility. We could still get it.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
2: Never say never. Now, let's look what happened with Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Never thought we'd get that final season. But here we are oh, yeah. so close to getting that. And. The fans are showing the love for Solo kind of similar to how they did for Clone Wars when that got canceled. So never say
1: never. That's true.
0: To be honest, too, I think if they made a Solo um, series and think about this, too, and and to have more diversity in in the directors and things like that, um, you could have probably Ron Howard and and his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, produce it and work and direct it together. That's very true. and she's already working on the Mandalorian Think of it, you know, as hers, like it'd be rad if she could like go in and, and do the, uh, you know, do some of the series and give it to her. Like, cause she wants to do more directing, give, give her the executive produce direct a bunch of these episodes. Like give it to her. It should be great. I mean, yeah, that
2: would be the showrunner.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then have like Ron Howard being an executive producer, like with, with her, like working them together. Like that, that seems like a perfect possibility.
1: Yeah, I'd be all down, all on board for that. Uh,
0: and you know, like I said, you never, you just it, it very well could happen. It very well could happen. Never know.
2: And this was a good plan by Han, mm-hmm. knowing that he'd think it's fake, but it's actually real. So <laughs> What if oh, that, that turned great. out? That worked out really well.
0: Mm-hmm. I just, I just love the fact that Han was prepared for the betrayal. Mm-hmm. I love it. And he yeah. said, he said people, I was paying attention. He said people are predictable. Yeah, I had no idea this was going to be Beckett. I know I'm an idiot, but. I'm yeah, like, yeah no, I, I
2: right before he had to, like, I know who's coming.
1: Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know either, but then when he came in again, it was kind of, I wouldn't say anticlimactic, but it was like, I was expecting yeah. I don't know, some surprise. I was like, wait, who who's it gonna be? I was like, it can't be Chewy. Oh, Is Lando uh, coming back? Like, and I was like, oh, it's Beckett, the guy who just left, but he didn't actually leave. <laughs> By the way, I love all the just the decor of Dryden Voss's room too, and just all the artifacts and stuff that he's got. I wanna know like how many Easter eggs are in there that we can't even really see.
0: Well, one of them, isn't it one of them, uh, XR Khan or no, no, it was going to be XR Khan's like book or whatever, but they, it didn't make it in the movie. That's right. Oh, okay. But there's there, if like the art of book and, and obviously, obviously the, uh, visual guide, there are, there are some hints and things like that in there.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously you got the Mandalorian armor back there. There's also one thing that I, there's, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. There's like a trying, like a pyramid sculpture thing yeah. with a bunch of cylinders around it and it i want to know because it looks like a like a big sith holocron with lightsabers around it like that's what it makes me think of but i want to know like is that actually what it is
2: yeah it always looked like the holocron to me but now I'm trying to remember if it actually was in the visual guide if they actually said if it was or not what the probably looked that up <laughs> no for sure but it immediately stood out to me as a holocron yeah i agree
0: man <laughs> the the red face thing that he does it just kind of makes me laugh because it feels like very much like how do we make this guy unique looking in like two months give him red <laughs> lines on his face yeah it works i'm not saying it doesn't but it's funny
1: yeah i mean the design of the character is not really anything special but like i said i i do really enjoy paul bettany's performance in there
0: yeah And this is a great twist,
1: too, when you think that Enfys Nest and all of them are captured. Um, And then, of course, you find out that Han really does have the real coaxium in there um, with Dryden. And he only thinks that it's like Han gives him the real stuff and he thinks it's fake because Han told Beckett that it was fake Um, or told him what the plan was going to be. but He didn't give him the real plan. But yeah. And then, of course, that shot of Enfys Nest jumping down. She's got a really cool weapon.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And does this ambush here with all her guys?
0: I just love when he tells Beckett, and you're no exception. Oh, yeah. so good. Great performance and delivery by Alden.
2: So. Man, Beck gonna and Beckett's going to double cross trade And I love the
0: <laughs> that, and I also love the fact that there's um, this whole last battle thing is not some super drawn out, like mega like you know complicated battle it's a pretty fun like not that hard to i don't know i love the simplicity of it myself
2: no i agree that's what it should be for a movie that's dealing with outlaws and thieves (laughs) just yeah you know
1: trying to outdo one another yeah there's not going to be a lightsaber duel or anything
2: (laughs) yeah
0: exactly but i i I do love that
1: and And it's it's still some
2: pretty cool action as
1: well i mean yeah i mean they do end up having a sword fight
2: yeah, this even though it wasn't long, uh, there was some cool stuff. A sword, like I said with knife, and the marauders taking down his men. Yeah. And stuff right here, yeah. <laughs> I like Han to response to so like, I agree, how about you go first? <laughs> hey, yeah. Again, very Han Solo. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then we're really gonna see Kira show off her Terrax Kazi skills, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is awesome.
1: Yeah, Dryden's little energy blade things are pretty cool too.
0: She's super cool. Do you think that's what we'll have around the uh, Knights of Ren when we see Rise of Skywalker? That red stuff.
2: I haven't um, thought about it, but maybe it looks like they have a variety of weapons. So <laughs> maybe one of them might have something like that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe on that giant butcher knife sword.
0: <laughs> oh, that thing's ridiculous. But also, I kind of love—I love that it's so ridiculous looking too.
2: Yeah. That sword Kira has is pretty cool, though, too. It's all, mm-hmm. right. That's I all mean, we, right. We hardly see, like, swords installed. <laughs> I mean, it's only just lightsabers, but just straight on blades. It's kind of a rare thing. Yeah. But it is, it is cool to see, well, see them.
1: And it makes sense for it being in a movie where, um, you know, there's no lightsabers involved. Exactly. obviously if you had a somebody trying to fight a Jedi with a sword, that wouldn't go over too well. But you bring right. a sword to a knife fight, you <laughs> Might do pretty well for yourself.
0: That's true.
2: And just like I knew or had a feeling Beckett was gonna come back and betray him. This is you knew right away that Kira wasn't telling the truth right here at all. Yeah. That he was gonna go with him. Like, you know, she has something else up on her sleeve.
1: I mean, the obvious reason is because we know he ends up with Leia, so he's not going to have a happily ever after with Kira. But, yeah, you also know and you've kind of known all along that, like, she's up to something and that she has other priorities besides Han.
2: At the same time, too, though, I do believe what she's saying, telling him right there that, you know, you need to save Chewbacca. Like, he needs you. Yeah. Part of her mm-hmm. knows that since he's going to leave him, he's going to need another you know, companion and a good friend to see him through, and she knows that's Chewbacca, so she still oh. cares for him enough to make sure he has that.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, I think she still cares for him a lot. Like, I don't think – I wouldn't even necessarily call this, like, a betrayal or you like she's not um you know it's not like she doesn't care about him or she's like all right yeah bye sucker i'm gonna go off with darth maul now it's just like i think and i like honestly i think she feels trapped too like when they're when they're kissing in lando's cape closet and you know she's like oh i really you know wish i could tell you everything that's happened to me but you look at me so much differently like i think she at least some part of her really does wish that she could go with him and that things could return to uh you know, to how they used to be between the two of them. But she's just now in this place where um, she's just kind of in this lifestyle that she can't escape from. It's kind of like what Beckett was telling Han, like when he's like, hey, if you come with me, you're in this for good. I think Kira's in a similar situation, but even to more of an extreme. And obviously, given uh, who she works for, that's not really surprising.
2: And she doesn't want to bring Han into that, too, as well. So it makes sense on that point where, you know, talking about how she still cares for him
1: yeah gosh this this was my still is maybe my favorite part of the movie but just seeing this in the theater i was floored and it's too bad that when i because i went to a late night showing um i saw it at like 11 o'clock or something on like a thursday night and Mm -hmm. there were not very many people in the theater so i didn't get to see like how this got like what kind of reaction this got from like a big crowd of star wars fans but um yeah, even before he pulls the hood off, like just when I heard Sam Witwer's voice and after a couple lines, I realized, holy crap, that's Maul. Yeah. And I was just like,
0: what? That was a really cool surprise. That it was not was. something that was, I, I knew there was a cameo. I people I heard about, but I was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. I I, I was blown away. I was expecting Java or Boba Fett. Yeah. But, but man, Darth Maul. I was like, what? I, I lost my mind. I lost my mind. Yeah, I was
1: expecting either Jabba or Boba Fett or maybe like Vader or Palpatine. And we were going to find out that somehow, like even though they were running the Empire, they were also pulling strings in the underworld. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that would have been a cool surprise. But Maul was totally out of left field for me.
2: And as cool as it was to see for me, Darth Maul be brought back in live action again and knowing how he survived and his connections to the criminal underworld. Sadly, it felt like I was the only one who knew that in the theater because it wasn't a lot of cheers. First of all, it wasn't as packed as it was for all the other Star Wars first showings, unfortunately. But a lot of it was just people going like, what? How is that possible? A lot of questions more than, oh, that's awesome. Maul's back because they're wondering, how did he survive? Because a lot of people who didn't watch Clone Wars were in that theater. So cool moment for me, just geeking out, but it didn't have that quite impactful moment where the audience just goes crazy and seeing the character. They're just kind of lost for words and wondering how that's possible. But
1: yeah, definitely. Like I had a friend at work that, you know, told me after he saw it, he's like, man, and that guy at the end, like, I almost thought that was Darth Maul for a second. And then I was like, <laughs> Oh wait, no, he's dead. And I was like, no, it was Darth Maul. Oh. A I lot of people we were to-
2: confused that it might've been before the Phantom Menace is that took t- this took place and as well. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of stuff.
0: A lot of, we did a, a top five, um, you know, I think Disney new kind of newer Star Wars film yeah. moments. And this yeah. was in my top five. And a lot of people, I know you guys kind of were, were kind of, that's weird. I, there's something about this scene. I just, I love the fact that Han knew what he had to do. And it's something that he, obviously Beckett would have done to him, but Han knew what he had to do and he did it. And I love the fact that he didn't hesitate. And yeah. it, I, I do I do also kind of like the idea of like Han shot first, you know, to, kind of to take me it, that
1: almost feels a little too on the nose, though. Like, I like it mm. and I don't because I I do think it fits perfectly for the character. And within that moment, like, yeah, Beckett was going to kill him and Han knew what he had to do. But at the same time, it almost especially because it's Lawrence and John Casden, and, you know, Lawrence Kasdan probably was not happy about, you know, George going back and making change like he's an original trilogy purist. Um, right. and was like, oh, let's have a scene where Han shoots first. Like, eh, I don't know. Again, yeah, it, but, it totally but, makes sense within the story, but it feels a little too direct at the same time.
0: I, I think it's earned because of what obviously what Beckett was doing. And I feel like it just shows you that that Han is, isn't going to hesitate. And again, it, it, it's earned because he does have that emotional connection. He knows he's predictable and that's why he mm-hmm. killed him. That's why he shot him before he did. And I love the fact that he was sad about it. He did not want to do it, but he had to. And also, you combine the fact that he's watching his girl leave him probably forever. Like, it's a pretty it's a pretty big moment for Han Solo right here, Honestly. Yeah. And, and it's, a, I just love the fact that he didn't kill Beckett like, yeah, that's right. Like, he felt awful about it. Like, as soon as he did it, he came over to him like he felt like the worst person ever.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I just love that shot of Han and Chewie there. That just might be my favorite yeah. moment in the movie, because you know, as you said, Han's Losing his, his love, of, as his, what he thought there, the love of his life. And he has no one but, you know, a, an even more important friendship and relationship that was forming with Han with Chewie right there. Chewie's going to be with him for the long haul. Just the fact that he puts his hand on his shoulder, comforting him in the way that he could, knowing that, you know, he's there for him. And then he's going to, as we know, going to be there with him till the end. And that's the moment where that really makes me think of the end or the death of Han and the Force Awakens. And Chewie just lets out that big growl when he sees his best friend get killed and it's like all that great stuff that makes you appreciate the history that they have. I just love that moment right there between Han and Chewie. Mm-hmm. And then this is where Enfist Nest becomes not only just a really cool looking character with that helmet, but just with a great backstory and knowing that her and her marauders are part of a rebel cell. And that just, that blew me away too when I saw it. I mean, Darth Maul was good enough, but it's, it's getting great right here. Yeah.
0: That,
1: yeah. That, 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 Oh, so yeah. per- that's so Han Solo. Now, one thing, th- so I kind of have mixed feelings about the whole tie into her being like part of a rebel cell, though, because on the one hand, it's cool. But on the other hand, I like the idea of somebody that's just out there looking out for people that are being oppressed, like not just by the Empire, but by the gangs and stuff. Because I think one thing that this yeah. movie highlights is like there are bad guys out in the galaxy who aren't just Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine. Like yeah. there's the a hand, lot of injustice. There's a lot of injustice and oppression in the galaxy happening just from all these crime syndicates and stuff. And I like that there's somebody out there just fighting against that. Like, I like, I think it's cool, you know, hinting at those seeds of rebellion, but I also kind of like this being its own separate little story. And I almost kind of wish that Enfis Nest was just out there doing good stuff on her own and that every good guy in this time period doesn't have to be part of the Rebel Alliance.
2: I could understand that. And part of me thinks maybe that's what they were beforehand, before the Empire really became into power and oppressed everyone. But once they saw that and knowing that they were the bigger evil out there and people needed help from the empire more so, that they kind of got more involved with becoming a rebel cell. So maybe it kind of started what you're talking about, but kind of grew into being something that will be part of the rebellion later on. But I can understand where you're coming from because – it does make sense to have them be like that before before the Empire was there.
1: Yeah, and I mean, but obviously, I, I love the Rebels, but you know, when we just had Star Wars Rebels and Rogue One, like I th- I just thought it would have been cool to have like a cool group of characters that were out there doing good in the galaxy that were not tied to the Rebel Alliance.
0: No, I, I feel you, but I feel like it's they're not that connected to the to them. I feel yeah so, not yet anyway mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and
1: that's the, the thing the fact that they're not that connected to it anyways that they're just trying kind of dropping the uh, hints that this yeah. will like it does it just doesn't feel necessary you know what yeah. i mean it's like I, I feel it's it. like hinting yeah. at something that we already know happens
0: i mean it is it, it is made for the mainstream audience not us so yeah. necessarily so
2: yeah. we got our other little you easter eggs too to geek out about so. mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Yeah, that line—it's mutual. <laughs> it's like we're
1: meant to be together. It's so good. Yeah, no, and I love the way that Han plays him here. Yeah,
0: I do love. I do love uh, Lando's shirt. They sold. They sold that at a celebration.
2: Oh really? Oh nice. <laughs> yeah. I will say, as as much of the emphasis they put on the lucky dice in the beginning of this movie, and even in the Last Jedi, knowing that it's what Han, you know, his lucky dice he used to. Win the Falcon, that it wasn't a factor at all in here. Not that it has anything to do with the rules of Sabak, but like this that he took it out for luck, or we show him put it on the table or hold on to it as he's going to make this last hand to show that, you know, he had the dice in hand to win the Falcon. And as we're going to see here, is the last shot of the movie. So that was something where I th- kind of surprised they didn't put that in and be more of a factor to win the Falcon that's that Sabak game
1: there. But- Yeah, Uh, I don't know. Again, with the dice, like, I feel like they almost like I feel like this is almost more of a nod to The Last Jedi than anything, because they it kind of played a big role in there. Like, it's one of those things that they keep making callbacks to it now, like in The Last Jedi and in this movie, because it was there in the original trilogy. But I never noticed it in the original trilogy until they pointed it it out and started making references to it in the new movies
2: it was always part of that lore though of knowing that that's could have been how Han won the Falcon. Um, To be honest for me, I never really uh, knew the rules of Sabacc and that if it was just a card game back when I only had the original trilogy and knew about the dice in the Falcon, I always thought, you know, maybe it was, you played the game with dice and that's what Han used to win it. So, but as we learned on that, it was a card game. Like I said, it wouldn't be something that factored into actually him winning it, but knowing that it's the luck that he held on to for him to win the Falcon, like, just have it be present there somewhere because it was emphasized so much in this movie itself. And then for the big moment when he wins the Falcon, it was nowhere to be seen. It just felt a little weird to me.
0: I I'll be honest. My, my least favorite shot in this whole movie is that last shot of the dice. I thought that was, it's a really weird thing to end on. Yeah, yeah. it is
2: now because like I said, it didn't play a factor <laughs> at all. With right. The no, yeah. But I, I just think it's,
0: it's kind of this that all that aside, it's, really awkward to look at it's just a weird just weird it's like what why which mm. is why didn't just why didn't, just, why didn't just do a, a fade with uh with them and the falcon together
1: yeah and i think weird. that would have been better to end on yeah like so. and it's it's fine to like have the dice in there and have it kind of be a thing and you know again like it's it's referencing something in the original trilogy that most people never even noticed was there but to have it like end on it and make it look like it's really significant it's like okay it's not that big of a deal yeah.
0: Well, solo. I love it. Did, you, did we change your mind at all, Kyle?
1: Well, <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. And and it's not like you really need to change my mind. I don't dislike this movie. I've always liked this movie. I just don't like it as much as you guys do. Um, but I really and I will say I like watching it and talking through it with you guys, I enjoyed it more than when I watched it with my family a couple weeks ago. Um, but to me – and again, not to not to sound too negative or anything. Again, I do – I like the movie. I'm just sharing my honest thoughts on it here. You know when people say a movie is, like, greater than the sum of its parts? Like, you know, it might have some flaws or whatever, but it has some good moments. And, like, overall, it kind of feels, like, better than it has any right to be or whatever. Like, just overall, it's a really enjoyable experience. I kind of feel like Solo is the opposite. Like – there are a lot of moments in there that I love. And like, if you take it scene by scene, I think there's like just a lot of fun stuff and a lot of great stuff. But I feel like maybe it's because of the pacing or whatever, but by the end of the movie, I find myself just not enjoying it as much. Um, and like the first half of the movie I love, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I think maybe they should have done this as a series on like, done it like one episode at a time because there's just kind of, it feels like there's just kind of so much stuff crammed into it. And it's just like, okay, we're going here and then we're going here and then we're going here. And to me, like the Kessel run feels like it should kind of be like the climax of the movie. Yeah. And then you got the whole finale on Saverine and that whole showdown. And again, I love that because the betrayal of, like, the, the betrayal between Han and Beckett and then Darth Maul, like, there's some really cool stuff in there. But at that point, I'm kind of just ready for the movie to be over because of, like, how long it's gone on and how much stuff we've been jumping around in between. Um, so I don't know. Like, it's – there's a lot of stuff in it that I love and the performances are great and there's some really great scenes, but just – Watching it from start to finish, I just – I don't know. I, I just wish it was either broken up more or it was condensed more or something. I just um, – I don't know. It, it feels if like – a, a, it, it feels like it just drags on a little too long for me.
0: I feel if, if they were to – if Solo were – because originally this was supposed to go later. The Boba Fett film was supposed to go first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and And then Rogue One kind of took that over because they thought it would be a great idea and all that stuff. But what's, what's fascinating about all this is that even though there's a, there's a good chance that we're going to get a, not a good chance. There's a, it's a possibility, excuse me, that we might get a solo, you know, s- series at some point. We never know, but it's a possibility. But think about this. If this were, if this would have, this could have gone the way of, of Boba Fett slash Mandalorian TV series already, like it probably would have been turned into that, to be honest. And I feel like that's, if you were developing it now, then that's what they would have done. They wouldn't do a movie, because, is to be honest, I think, I think Star Wars couldn't. They, it's, I don't, I just don't know if it's a more than one film a year kind of franchise. And obviously, when, you know, Kathleen Kenny was confirmed you know, last, um, celebration here that, yeah, that was the idea of putting, they, they toyed, they toyed with the idea of doing two films a year with solo coming out six months later after the last Jedi, it didn't do so hot, but I just kind of feel like if this were being produced like two years ago or last year, excuse me, then yeah, no doubt about it. They'd be putting this as a TV series, whether they had a failure with whatever film they were coming out with. I feel that that's what they would be, they would be doing. And I feel like, you're right to an extent that this film would have been a fantastic TV series. Cause you could have really emphasized Mimban and things like that. Yeah, exactly. You could expensive... have like a
1: whole episode on Corellia and then a whole episode mm-hmm. on Mimban and then a whole episode yeah. on, uh, I forget what the name of the planet is. I just keep ta- calling it that snow planet where the train heist is.
0: Um, uh, I forgot what it's called,
1: but yeah. you could have, you know, one to two episodes on each of those planets. and Then we'd get to know, Beckett's crew more, and then you know that would add a lot more emotional weight when Val and Rio get killed, and it's not like, oh, oh, well, I just met that person 10 minutes ago. Um, so yeah, I, I think like there's a lot of good stuff in here, and I think by stretching it out into a series, they could have, uh, you know, given a lot of those moments, like and characters, they're like given them more time to shine on their own
2: yeah i don't know you guys i do agree what you're saying about a tv series where it probably could have been better on that front and expanding certain elements that we love about the movie but i don't know i kind of feel the, the exact opposite of what you're saying kyle about the movie and its pacing i actually really love the pacing of it and how it just flows and even though it does move on to one sequence to the next i think it has a natural flow to it for me anyway and doesn't have too many you know down points and the parts where it is a little slower or quieter it's great character moments and when it's all said and done for me why I love it a lot is what I was hoping to deliver when I was going into it being a prequel um, and the origin of Han and just knowing where he came from his history how he met Chewie how he got the Falcon his first interaction with Lando for me personally it almost nailed all of those even though some of them were played out differently than I was expecting as we talked about during the commentary a lot of those changes end up being for the better and I just love it. And as I said, now, when I watch certain moments in the original trilogy or The Force Awakens, I can think back to some great moments with Han and Chewie or Han and Lando in Solo. And that's why I love it. It did what I think all good prequels should do, just elevate certain characters and other stories or movies that you've seen them in before. And I think Solo did exactly that. So, yeah, if if it was a, you know, (laughs) a world where everything worked out and uh, we got what we wanted we would get sequels to expand on some of those elements more. Or if it was made now, we would get a TV show that would have some of those uh, stuff that you guys are talking about as far as diving into more on certain sequences or planets. That would be great. But um, since we don't, I just really enjoyed what we did get in Solo A Star Wars Story. And I hope we get more. And hopefully that uh, Make Solo 2 Happen campaign uh, carries on and gets a little more traction for the people at Lucasfilm to see to continue on with the story of these characters and these actors portraying these characters. Cause as we said, pretty much everybody did a great job. So yeah, hopefully this isn't the last we'll see of this time period of Han Solo and Chewie and Lando. But if it is, I'm thankful for what we got for, cause what we got in this movie, I just really, really love.
0: Kyle's just like,
1: man, that was all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, look, and like I said, I mean, I don't need to keep beating a dead horse on this but like I kind of I almost wish I could say I love the movie as much as you guys because I agree with like everything you said Tim like all those moments of Han meeting Lando and meeting Chewie and getting the Falcon like there are a lot of great individual moments in this movie that I just wish I could say I loved the movie as a whole more when you put all that together um to me it just it doesn't all add up to Something that's truly great. It adds up to something that's fun and enjoyable, and I definitely like it. Um, you know, the people that either don't like this movie or just didn't even care to go see it because they said, you know, I didn't ask for a Han Solo movie or whatever. I like the movie a lot more than those people. But there are also people that think, you know, that this is like one of their favorite Star Wars movies, or that it's just, you know, absolutely great. And I'm like, I just don't love it that much. Um, but well, I still, I still really enjoy it, and like we said, I would love to see more stuff with these characters.
0: I, I have a feeling, and I feel it's already happening. But I feel this movie is just going to get better and better over the years. And in retrospect, compared to all the different, uh, including TV series and anything, any, basically anything live action, this is going to be looked and it's going to age really, really well. And I mm-hmm. think that. Because of all the practical sets they use, with the combination of CGI, with the humor, with the fact that you know the characters are you know are really I think there are lots of great characters minus Han and Chewie and Lando obviously they created a lot of really cool characters uh, planets are really are exactly not exactly uh, completely the normal things we've seen before. I mean, I guess a little bit sand and, and snow planet, but Corellia and Kessel totally very vastly different looking planets. than we're used to have seen and just everything. I, I just, it just feels, I just feel like it's going to age better. And again, I think the look of it's really unique too. I, there's just a lot of different things going for it. And I feel that as the years go and we see other films get made, we're going to, are there'll be films that will be uh, Star Wars films will be better than solo for sure. But there's going to be a, I, I don't think there's going to be as a lot of films. That I think will be as look as good and be as good as solo because, because it has a timeless feel to it that you could, you, that movie could have come out seventies and would have been a giant hit.
1: You know, <laughs> well like, except that except the L three, three, seven definitely sounds like certain people on Twitter nowadays, but well, um, I mean, well
0: whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, but you, but you know what I'm saying
1: though. yeah like, I mean, it's a very timeless story
0: and I feel that it's like Star Wars is mostly timeless. Don't get me wrong, but it feels very like a throwback to all the other Star Wars movies above everything else. And for some reason, I think that's just going to make it age better than even Rogue One, which I I like for the record. I love Rogue One more than I like Solo, but I I could see Solo overtaking Rogue One at some point because once all the, the hubbub dies down of all, all this stuff and all you have left is, do you like Solo or not? People are going to go, yeah, that movie was actually really good. It's, it's, it's mm. going to be regarded as a, one of the better Star Wars movies. When you look at it from a whole, from everything combined, I just have this feeling.
1: I could be wrong. But well, well, I do. agree with you that it definitely nails that classic Star Wars like look and feel and tone. Um, it's just, you know, maybe just story-wise, it just doesn't quite hold up for me. And I think one thing, too, and this is just kind of the last point I'll say on it and this is not even necessarily a criticism of the movie but just maybe something why a reason why i don't like it as much compared to other star wars movies is it doesn't have as high stakes like you never really are worried for han or chewie because we know that they're going to make it through to the original trilogy because not only have we seen them before but we've seen you know the end of han's storyline um and so you know when you're following that main character and there's not like a big threat or anything that he's up against there's not like galactic stakes on the line which is sometimes nice to have like those smaller scale stories like not everything has to be about saving the entire galaxy but you know when you look at the saga films or even rogue one when you know they're trying to get the death star plans and it's this desperate battle against the empire it just feels so much more sort of tense and dramatic and like there's more on the line than there is here in solo um and again that's okay because i feel like that's what they were going for and you know it's it's kind of just a smaller scale movie about You know, just Han and Chewie and, you know, just um, it's supposed to have lower stakes like they're Han has been one of those characters like he's out for himself. He's not about saving the galaxy until he joins up with the with the rebellion. Um, So on the one hand, I kind of appreciate that. But at the same time, it just it doesn't get me as excited as other Star Wars movies when you have space battles and lightsaber duels and all that kind of stuff. Tim, your yeah, final on a,
2: word on this? <laughs> well, I think I already said my final word on what I think of the movie, but uh, I just hope eventually, like you were saying, Paul, that a few years from now, maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, or we'll to look on look back on more fondly than he is today, that hopefully we're still doing this podcast 20 years from now, Kyle will have a different opinion on it. (laughs) We do our 20th anniversary look back on Solo with Star Wars story. He goes, You know what? I love this movie a lot more than I did when we first did our commentary episode on it. You guys were right. (laughs) But until then, respect how you feel about it, Kyle, but hopefully it'll will change. Maybe yeah. there are discussions on it more or just <laughs> as the years go yeah, by. Yep. Yeah.
1: And again, it, it, I have a generally positive opinion of this movie, but I would give, you know, if I had to rate it, I'd give it maybe like a 7 out of 10 or something, whereas I'm guessing you guys would give it 8 or 9 or something.
2: Yeah, I'd probably give it like a solid 8.5, close to a 9, something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: That's probably where I I'm, I'm too Tim. I'm probably closer to a nine, but I'd say eight point five is pretty accurate. I think it's it's a pretty it's it's just a great great movie.
1: All right, well, that is our commentary of Solo: A Star Wars Story. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, you know, especially if any of you guys were watching the movie along with us, um, hope you enjoyed hearing our commentary along with it. Um, be sure to let us know on social media uh, your thoughts and what you thought of the commentary and uh, you know if you have your own thoughts on the movie that you want to share with us we'd love to hear it um, so you can go ahead and check us out on Twitter at star wars tSC and on facebook at facebook.com slash star wars the saga continues um, You can send us email at star wars tsc at gmail.com and you can uh, check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com for all the latest star wars news and rumors that we're posting. Um, and uh, we will be back with you guys next time, um, whatever our next regularly <laughs> scheduled episode is going to be. Um, but definitely look forward to uh, keep talking more Star Wars throughout the year and doing more of these commentaries as well as we keep working our way through the saga. So uh, thank you guys for listening. We will see you next time, and may the Force be with you.
2: See you next time, everybody.